Hello guys and girls. Welcome to episode 113 of the F Reality Podcast. This is a weekly VR, AR and MR talk show live streamed every Saturday on YouTube, Facebook and on Twitch. You can also catch the show live in VR using big screen TV. The show goes live at 7pm in Europe, 6pm in the UK and 12 midday in Central US. Although I think the show times are a little bit different in the US <laughs> because of the UK times being in a different time zone now. So apologies if that's incorrect. I'm hearing the Doctor Who intro right now, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not quite I'm not quite sure, but hopefully you're 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 joining us live in the US. Uh, if you are just let us know in the chat what time it is there so we know uh, for next week. Uh, but you can also check out the audio version. It's available on iTunes, SoundCloud and on Spotify. We're actually dropping Anchor from our audio lineup from this week as we found that most people were using the other platforms, but if you do want Anchor back, just let us know. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, or feedback during the show, please put them in the chat. We'll try and answer as many questions as we can. And of course, now it's time for me to introduce you to the team. First up, just like Sebastian from The Little Mermaid, this guy loves nothing more than being under the sea in VR. It's the VR Aquaman. It's ZimTalk5. How you doing, dude? <laughs> I'm like, usually it's like recent events. Did I do something underwater? What did I, or was this just like referencing Subnautica and my love for that? I think so, yeah. Yeah, okay. Because uh, I was like, this is definitely not me. You know, <laughs> it takes your, your wind out. Good, but pissed off at Valve. Do you want to know why I'm pissed off at Valve? Sure. They still haven't released Half-Life 3. It, it's not that, and that's going to cost us an hour, Rowdy, so zip it. Uh, <laughs> um, so, no, they took, I mean, I got upset the last time they updated Steam, but they've updated Steam again. And uh, the last time they updated Steam, I mean, major platform update, I remember I was in a web cafe and I saw that they changed from their like military green to this new kind of more bluey thing. And I was kind of miffed, but now they've, they've taken away the small mode in yeah. Steam. And I'm like, why would you choose to do that? So I know it, isn't strictly VR related, but because you to get to VR, you've got to go through that unless you use like big, what do they call it? Big, uh, big TV big, mode? Big, yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah big, what, whatever. big screen, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> maybe big screen. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm going to have to start to get my little picketing line out and write, write, scribble on a board and stand in front of Gabe's office or something, but yeah. they need to bring or, that back. Or, or, or you can switch to Epic. Actually, you, well, yeah, I'm surprised they don't give you an option though to switch to classic mode or something like that yeah, for people that strange. don't want to change. Yeah, it wasn't epic. Someone yeah. told me that uh, EA Games, I think, is coming back to Steam and allowing you to bring Origin titles over, but I don't think there's any Origin VR titles. No, although that's the that's the new Star Wars game, isn't it? The new uh, Jedi game that's coming to Steam from EA. Yeah, yeah, yeah cool. Fallen. So anyway, me, yeah, yeah. started started my week well, and then that hit me yesterday. I'm like, fuck, you've ruined my week. That upset you. That's understandable. That's yeah. understandable. Um, so next up, some say that this guy is the Casey Neistat of VR, <laughs> vlogging his VR endeavors. It's of course the rowdy guy. How you doing? I'm I'm doing great. That's a that's a nice intro. Yeah, I, I like Casey Neistat a lot. I actually watch him a lot. That's probably why I'm a bit inspired with uh, when I do any vlogs with uh, with his channel as well. 
but yeah, I'll talk about it a little bit more later on as well what I was up to this week. But uh, yeah, my week has been has been fairly great. You know, it's been a lot colder. You know, the nights are getting darker sooner. Um, but uh, all in all, it's uh, yeah, I like this kind of period. So a lot of coziness inside. You know, a lot of time for VR. <laughs> yeah, I enjoy that too. Like the summer was just awful for all of us. Um, so now I'm I'm happy that we're all cold. We can wrap up warm and and warm up playing some VR as well. Um, so next up is our special guest this week, Kent Bai from The Voices of VR podcast. Welcome to the show, Kent. Thanks for joining us this week. Yeah, it's great to be here. I'm uh, excited to uh, have the variety of different discussions. I know that uh, I've tuned in a number of times just to catch up to what's happening in the gaming world. Uh, and I know you all are very intimately checking out all the latest games, and I'm traveling around the world going and talking to lots of people in the VR industry. So I'm just happy to be here and be a part of the discussion. So thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. And and maybe for those that that don't know of your podcast, maybe you could give a a brief overview of what it is and uh, where people can listen to it. Sure. So uh, I guess probably back uh, May 19th and 20th, 2014 is when I started the podcast properly. Uh, Went to the Silicon Valley Virtual Reality Conference and ended up doing about 46 interviews there in the two days. Uh, So in the past five and a half years, I've recorded over 1,400 interviews with different uh, pioneers and creators uh, within the industry, uh, all over the different sectors of the industry, and uh, go on average from uh, 12 to 20 conferences a year. Um, So well over like 100 events over the last five years, just trying to capture like a real-time oral history of virtual reality as it unfolds, um, and just be a part of the conversation. So you can find me at voicesofvr.com. Uh, where I've published about 831 of the interviews I've recorded, about two-thirds of the stuff I've recorded so far. Uh, and I get support from Patreon. So I'm supported by listeners uh, on Patreon, and that's how I make my living, is uh, crowd-supported VR journalism slash real-time oral history. That's awesome. It's awesome. A real OG from the industry. That's that's what I like to say. Well, uh, the second wave, I would say second wave. There's OGs sure. that are... You know, OG, real OG. OGs, Tom Furness and Ivan Sutherland back in the 60s and then the second wave in the 90s. Uh, I, th- I kind of see this as like the third wave of VR. So an OG third wave relative to the third wave for sure. But um, in 2014, which was not like even the OG OG of 2013 of all the Oculus Kickstarters, which yeah. uh, I'm sure some of you may be uh, g- getting the first round of those DK1. So I came in at... January 1st, 2014 is my origin point when I got my Rift DK1 and then started in May of 2014 and then been going ever since. Awesome. Awesome. It's great to have you on the show, Kent. Thanks for joining us. Um, So Nathie's uh, not with us this week. Uh, He's now uh, exclusively streaming on Mixer. Uh, after receiving, uh, I, I was thinking something was going to come like that. So it's brilliant. After receiving a huge paycheck, so he's not going to be—he's uh, not allowed to to stream on YouTube anymore. Uh, of course, no, I'm joking. He's—he's uh, uh, he's heading off to uh, sunny Bali uh, to have a well-deserved break. So I uh, hope you uh, enjoy your time in Bali, some well-deserved R and R, and uh, we look forward to having you back in a couple of weeks. Um, if you don't know who I am, my name is Mike, uh, host of the show from Virtual Reality Oasis. Uh, we've got an awesome show lined up for you today. Some of the highlights include Oculus Link and Vader Immortal Episode 3. Zim's going to give you the lowdown on the latest releases to look forward to next week. 
Uh, we're going to be talking about our hands-on impressions of one of the hottest VR games coming soon called Pistol Whip. And then finally, we'll be discussing ethics and privacy in XR with our special guest, of course, Kent Bai. Um, but first up, let's find out what everyone's been playing uh, and their highlight of the week this week. Of course, feel free to join in with the chat as well. We always love to hear what you've been up to. Uh, but first up to the plate is ZimTalk5. I, um, I may have fallen down a rabbit hole. Uh, this week. <laughs> I know you guys know what I'm on about. And I was planning, I was like, oh, come on. And Mike was like, what did you play? And I'm like, I'll be like itching my neck and, you know, rubbing my nose a bit and being like, being like, I don't have a problem. What do you mean? I don't have a problem. Uh, so I, I got into a puzzle game on Quest called Gadgeteer. Um, and I've, I've, I kind of started off going into this. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll give it the 15 minutes and then I'll, I'll, I'll move on. Because usually I get irritated at puzzle games after... 20 minutes or so. Um, I didn't find that at all with this, which was really interesting because they um, they didn't compartmentalize in terms of the game design. They didn't compartmentalize like the two, here's the tutorial, here's the game. You know, you didn't like have to finish this bit, then move on to that bit. And it, it's not linear from that point either, which I only realized at Puzzle, puzzle 34. Um, but uh, like the way that everything is self-contained in one room, it feels to me like one of these like stage plays that you go to and it's all in one scene. Like it, it really nice in the fact that actually your visuals and your layout isn't changing, but they still take you on this journey and things do um, start to ramp up in terms of difficulty of the different ch challenges. But um, the thing that really struck me was like, I felt like I was a kid playing with Legos again, uh, mm -hmm. with the dominoes, with the physics effects, with the ability to quick rewind and replay and, and tune and find, find adjust things. And also, I love the fact that their physics engine doesn't always play out the exact same scenario. Like sometimes it's, it's minutely different. And, and at times it, it, that's all that it takes. You just run the simulation 10 times and then you win because your marble judders that little bit to the left instead of to the right. And all that makes it a really addictive little game loop. And uh, I generally, as I said, wouldn't be thumbing up uh, puzzle games as, because of the frustration element. But um this one is is fantastic, and now I've kind of like committed myself to it, which is unfortunate for my audience, I know, because puzzle games aren't, oh, unless you want to watch someone descend into madness, aren't always the best thing to watch. But uh, I, 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 for a couple of months now, I haven't given like a, a bio award to anything, and this one I did because it's really great being, especially in the quest, being able to move around and all that and do whatever you like. It's, it's fantastic. It really went well, so... Yeah, I, I totally agree with you with the Gadgeteer because like when I played it originally on PC, um, again, I sort of really fell into it, fell in love with it. Um, but this is the first time you've played it on Quest. Yeah, so I, think yeah just I didn't touch it go, on desktop at all. Just before we go into get, I think we need to rearrange our scenes, exactly. right? Exactly. Reality assemble, please. Yeah. <laughs> so so is, is, is there's something wrong with my internet connection at the moment. I don't know why because I don't, I don't see anything at the moment. <laughs> you oh, don't? Okay. Okay, no. so so who needs to to move first? Uh, well, so Rowdy, you're saying that you can't see any of us. You have no connection, right? So he's not even going to be. It would have been Rowdy first, but okay. This is we we prepared for this. This this fire drill has never happened. This is quite exciting. So for those who are audio listeners, we're all in the wrong boxes, which is not so bad. Now okay. Rowdy is Mike. Mike is Kent. Kent is Rowdy, and Zim is Zim, of course. So, um, how, how's it, how's it going now, Raddy? Is it okay? Or is it just uh, no. spotty? Give it, give it five minutes. We'll, we'll roll it okay. this way and that's not okay. too we'll, bad. We'll, we'll carry on for now, but going back to Gadgeteer then, um, 
the the quest is the first time you played it. So I played it on PC a good few months back, and a bit like you, I I kind of just I was I wasn't that interested in it. I thought it you know like even though puzzle games are my jam, like I really enjoy puzzle games, I wasn't that interested in it uh, because it's all about these like kind of Rube Goldberg machines, right? So it's like a, you start off this chain reaction by you know setting off one domino and then it like knocks them all down and then it knocks like a a windmill over and then a marble rolls and it, you know it is. It is super satisfying once you really get into the game. Yeah. But like you say, the, the the level design is really interesting in that it's not levels. It's just you're moving around a room environment and solving these puzzles one by one. Uh, and it's super satisfying. <laughs> but have you seen any of the really big machines that you can access right at the very end? Uh, only by peering over the walls and stuff. So I haven't, okay. um, I, as I've been going linearly through them. I'm currently yeah. caught in the bathroom, uh, which doesn't spoil anything. And um and I'm kind of waiting to beat the last puzzle there. So okay, I'm actually doing a show right after this to hopefully uh, finish it. Yeah, I, I think I, I think I call that locked in the loo. So we're gonna try to get out of the bathroom, right. <laughs> and, and then get out into the main room and <laughs> do the puzzles out there. And you've been streaming out on Quest as well. Uh yeah yeah yeah. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Nice. But yeah, I think, uh, you know, if, if you're into puzzle games, it's one of those little hidden gems on Quest um, that you could easily bypass, but you can have a lot of fun with, I think. Uh, the, 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 the nice thing about it is just like not being tethered is so yeah. handy and being able to like they, they were really smart to allow you to easily ratchet yourself up or down in height, uh, move yourself around, spin yourself if you need to with the motion controls um, that those design considerations really help it. Um, because yeah. if, they, if those weren't in there, you, you'd have the problem that I, I see my daughter happen, happen all the time, which is like, I'm too short or I'm too big, or I, there's a wall there, all that. So very smart design. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the game that we're going to be talking about later on, again, is one of those games that is best <laughs> played on quest. Uh, but of course we'll get into that. Uh, but now that Rowdy's internet looks like it's settled down a bit, let's, yeah, uh, let's reassemble like our little video scenes. Yeah, so who needs right. to go Rowdy's first? first Rowdy. Yeah. Then Ken, then Ken and then me. Yeah. And then uh, we should all be back in order again. So if you're watching this, uh, this is like a little peer <laughs> behind the window of how this show works. <laughs> um, okay. So what about you then, uh, Rowdy? Now that you're back online, what yeah. have you been up to this week? So this week I, I had the opportunity to go to a virtual reality arcade. Uh, I was sponsored to go there by uh, Telenet, which is uh, a Belgian telecom operator. So basically, I don't know why they got invested in virtual reality, wow. but they... They hired this um, massive location, so it's 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 really it's enormous. It's like a warehouse, and in the front of the of the warehouse, they have a little bar, and they have like uh, like small stands where you can play VR on like a, a few square meters. Um, that is just the where the bar is. Um, I, I managed to go there with a couple of friends and a couple of colleagues, and uh, it was for some of them their first time in virtual reality. So the initial experience, they they have like those typical like arcade games, like that, like the Spider-Man Homecoming experience, the archery game. Uh, they had that Fruit Ninja kind of thing. So the typical kind of stuff that, you know, the early exposure to VR is. Mm. And then uh, afterwards, we had to try out the custom-made experience, which was called uh, Nano Clash. And this was one that was uh, in the warehouse, so in the, the massive location. Uh, it was three versus three that we played. Uh, but you could play it, I believe, up until six against six, uh, all in the same uh, space. So it's a fairly large area. And the teams were split into two with like a, a black curtain in between uh, in between us. Um, how, how large the area specifically is, I don't know, but... I think one play space for three people was at least 20 by 20. Wow. 
Yeah. And are you using um, Vive Pros with wireless Vive adapters? Pros, everything. Okay, yeah. No, yeah. Uh, not with wireless adapters. No, oh. that was with a backpack PC still. So plugged oh, in backpack up into your backpack. And then they had those, uh, they had like uh, custom made guns where like the Vive controller was like slotted in. Um, mm -hmm. Really neat setup. The f this is not the first time that I went there. It was actually the second time, but the first time it was still a little bit, not everything worked and there were a lot of problems in getting like everything synced up and like the player's heights weren't calibrated, but now it was like spot on. It was very smooth how it went from beginning up until end. Um, we spent roughly two hours there, I think. Uh, I think it goes normally for about like 40 euros per person for the entire mm -hmm. experience for the two mm -hmm. hours. Um, which is not too bad. Um, I, I think for the, I mean, the intro to VR, it's not really worth it because, you know, definitely not for someone like me or like a lot of my friends who, who have tried virtual reality. But the Nano Clash experience, the the one in the warehouse, the, the open one, uh, that was definitely worth it. Uh, it was a lot of fun and um, a lot of sweating. You know, I, I, there, there is like a certain scent that gets into those kind of headsets, you know, like that you, <laughs> you start smelling the sweat eventually. Um, but uh, yeah, a great experience. Really had a lot of fun there as well. I got to make a fun video out of it as well. So uh, yeah, it was a really yeah. great experience. And I have to say, like, you know, go and check out Raddy's video. Uh, he does this awesome like vlog, like I mentioned in his intro. <laughs> uh, very Casey Neistat style, you know, very sort of fast paced vlogging. It's really fun to watch. And I think you did a cracking job there. You should definitely consider thanks, doing man. more content like that. Yeah, um, but intrigued actually about like your friends, because some of them maybe weren't so experienced with VR. <laughs> How did they find it? Because obviously um, putting people in VR experiences for their first time can be a bit hit and miss sometimes whether yeah. they're going to get like motion sickness or not. But certainly with an experience where you're fully tracked in a in a free roaming environment, I'd imagine that probably works better to yeah. uh, introduce um, someone to VR maybe for the first time. I had, I, there were a couple of people of like of all ages. So I had a, a couple of like, you know, my colleagues and my my friends that were like my age, my, but also brought a colleague who was a, a little bit older. My sister was a bit younger um, and they didn't really have that much experience with VR. And one of them also had the fear of heights. So when they tried Richie's Plank experience, it was it was it was awful for that person. Really, he was like, especially because that plank is always a little bit wobbly when you stand on there. So it's like moving a bit left or right. And then he said, "Okay, now jump off." And the guy was like, "No way, I ain't jumping off here." His brain and I could see his knees were just like trembling. So he was like really into that. Um, he enjoyed it though. He was like, "Wow, it's really impressive to see like how much." You know how much improvement there there is in this kind of industry and how clear it all looks especially with the 5 pro because it's still a very high resolution but then indeed the, the nano clash experience because you're fully tracked and you're not relying on like um, movement of like of like trackpad movements it feels really um, intensive in a, in a good way you know you really feel that you're there you know you're, you're absolutely there if there's a wall in front of you you don't go and walk through that wall because you think there's a wall there and also the way that the area is mapped it's like really nicely done in a way that you you will never run through like out of the scene or like through the curtain or against the wall just because the the environment is made specifically to fit that kind of area mm -hmm. and i think that's a very small way of doing it but for them, that experience, that experience specifically was really mind-blowing. They really liked was that. Was there any space nice. folding in what you did, or was it all just like one-to-one -one mapping in, in, in the one space? One-to-one one -one. yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Looked fun. I'm intrigued. Um, I'm intrigued, Kent, like, um, you know, obviously being a, being a veteran of VR, but do you, do you ever suffer from sort of motion sickness, or are you susceptible to that? Because I know certainly I was. Oh, I, yeah. 
you know, I think it, it's interesting because I think I've actually, there's certain ways in which I can notice my own motion sickness triggers and be able to mitigate it. So like kind of shut my eyes a little bit to, you know, like, like, um, in was it Eagle's flight where they would like put the little, um, circle around your eyes and also and Google maps to, to be able to like, um, prevent a lot of the flow that happens on the side. So mo- locomotion where you have a lot of optical flow and the peripheral vision actually can be very triggering for motion sickness. So I I feel like if you kind of shut your eyes a little bit, you can mitigate that. So I've learned to do that myself, but also recognize the motion sickness triggers. I've always been someone who's been very susceptible to motion sickness. And I feel like to a certain degree, I've got like a certain level of VR legs, but it has limits. Mm -hmm. So if that I find if there's a lot of details in the textures and I have a lot of optical flow, it'll make me sick. But if you have something a little bit more sparse um, that has not a lot of movement that's happening in your peripheral vision, then it doesn't tend to make me as sick. So um, I tend to, like in VR chat, I, I prefer to move around locomoting through your body because I feel like it. there's a trade-off if you start teleporting around, you break the social cohesion. Mm-hmm. Um, but in other experiences, I find that there's like these different trade-offs and it, it, it sometimes I feel like I can get triggered if there's certain things like going upwards or going around sides or turning. There's certain triggers that I know that I have specifically um, so that if it starts to happen, I can just shut my eyes. So, yeah, I'm, I'm grinning at the phrase social cohesion because you know that that's something that you're going to get when you got someone like Ken on the podcast. And the thing is, like, I, I don't think I had a word for it, but I feel the exact same way about teleport in any social app. Like, you do not want to be just like, oh, I'm going to jump with you. We're going <laughs> to my wife and I managed in alt space to jump to different parts of the level. And it took us 30 seconds to find each other again. So I totally get the bearing of social cohesion uh, when it comes to teleport. But thank you for that term. I'm going to use that now going forward. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It tends to d- disrupt the the dynamics you have of people being in a space. And when you start teleporting around, it's really difficult to maintain that. So I feel like VR chat by having people like either locomoting around. Um, I, so I see like the way VR, for example, it's I find it's hard to connect to people if they're like teleporting <laughs> around. Um, yeah. but big screen's great because you're not locomoting at all. You're just like, you're, you're fixed on a certain space. And so you end up having more social dynamics in that way. So I feel like there's different trade-offs there. Like you can have more of a sense of environmental presence as well. If you locomote around, so you, you don't, when you teleport, you sort of break your sense of embodied presence in the environment and your brain has to reconstruct the entire model. Um, so even though it's more comfortable, you do these trade-offs of you feel less present in the environment when you jump around like that. So I think depending on the experience, there's these different trade-offs and that I choose locomotion uh, both based upon both the comfort, but also like the environment and the social cohesion. It's a really interesting point. Yeah, really, really interesting. It kind of brings us on nicely then. So maybe you can talk about what um, maybe something you played this week and maybe something you want to highlight or something you've enjoyed recently that you want to share. Yeah, yeah. Well, usually I end up going to a lot of conferences and playing most of my experiences there. But this is a little bit of an odd week because I ended up doing three remote interviews. Usually I do about 95% of my conversations face to face. And so I did an interview with the creators of Audio Trip, which I was playing. That's a little bit more of a rhythm game where you're trying to get into a flow state. Um, One of the creators uh, was an architect slash choreographer dancer. And so it's more focused on how you're moving your body around, which I think is a little bit different than like striking or punching things. It's more about embodied movement, which I thought was really nice. Um, And then I also saw a lot of the hype for Pistol Whip. They have quite a lot of uh, embargo release of all these videos coming out. And I know a lot of you played it. I actually saw 
that on this podcast that we were going to be talking about it. And I was like, all right, I need to reach out to Joe at Cloudhead Games and ask for a key to actually play it because I wanted to be able to actually talk it. I ended, I ended up playing it and then also doing like an hour long interview with Danny Unger, kind awesome. of breaking down a lot awesome. of the different stuff. So I'll be able to add yeah. maybe some more context to that. But the big uh, experience that I played this week was from Tender Claws. Uh, if you've played uh, virtual virtual reality, mm-hmm. they have a new experience that I got to see a sneak preview at Sundance. It's called The Under Presents. And so they have this immersive theater actor component. So they actually have live actors that they've hired that when you go into this experience, you could have like this serendipitous collision with an, a live immersive theater actor. This is something that like Neil Stevenson thought of in Diamond Age when he has what he calls reactors or reactive actors. And so for like four months, once when I don't actually know when it's going to launch, but um, soon when it comes out, the under presents is going to have live immersive theater actors that are roaming around this space and you're going to be able to run into them. Huh, but wow. Tinder Claws, um, if you, if you've done virtual, virtual reality, you know that the writing and the storytelling and that is one of the best I've seen in VR. And so just the same, they've, they've done a lot of really great narrative and, and innovations in this piece. And I'm hesitant to talk even too much about it because I feel like there's a certain amount of the puzzle and the structure of the piece that is such a joy to discover how it works uh, that I want to kind of keep it a little occluded. But just to say that this has live immersive theater actors and it's the creators of virtual virtual reality, amazing storytelling, amazing character development, a lot of really great innovations of how to navigate the story. Um, Similar to 1111, I don't know if you've played that, but that debuted at South by Southwest where it's a bit of an immersive theater piece where um, they have different controls for you to be able to, to, to scrub forwards and backwards in time. And so just the same, um, in order to cover uh, eight different characters that each have, I think, around an hour and a half worth of content over multiple acts. Yep. So there's lots of content that you're kind of navigating around and trying to figure out. Um, but from what I've seen so far, it's one of the best uh, VR narratives that I've seen. So I'm super, super stoked for the Under Presents once it finally comes out there. And I did an interview with the creators as well. So once it finally releases, I'll be releasing the conversation and really look forward to this kind of indie spirit type of game that is just absolutely incredible. What's that cool. name again you're saying, Ken? The, the Under Presents. The Under. So it's The Under, yeah. And the, the other thing I'd say is that they've actually got a lot of live artists and performances from like uh, indie artists from the New York scene. So uh, they've actually done this motion capture of a bunch of different artists that you get to, you know, see this, these different stage shows. Well, so not, not even just for the, the pre-recorded bit. Um, this is reminding me a lot like um, something I did in person, which was secret cinema, which exists in a few different places where essentially you go to like a, a location, you pay, I don't know, 80 quid or something. And then they tell you like, you, we had to go and like, um, overalls and you couldn't have cash on your like you couldn't have any like electronics and and, you know we got i'll cut a long story short it was um it it was a rendition a four-hour rendition of like the shawshank redemption where they literally had you know like a judge uh jail guards uh you walk through a a cell where there was there was a full body naked male dude getting beat up and he had blood all over his face and stuff and like you know full-on acting the whole time uh, and then at the end of this whole thing, and you're all treated like prisoners, you're sat down in like a gym hall and, and you end up watching uh, Shawshank Redemption at the end of it. And 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 so something like that merged with VR, this idea of you're not always going to get the same uh, interaction and there's some live element to it is really sparking my brain right now. So that sounds awesome. 
But yeah. with, the, with, the, with, with the live element, you say, I think it was like, you mean that it was captured live, right? And then- No, no, no. So, okay. So there's a lots, there's lots of stuff that's actually um, like pre-recorded. Um, and it, it is a bit like a narrative, like um, you're talking, Zim, you're talking about like uh, secret cinema. That's usually referred to as like immersive theater where you go into like, there's no proscenium, no stage. Um, most famously like Sleep No More in New York City, which um, I've had a chance to see back like in 2011 or Then She Fell. Um, there's a whole podcast called No Proscenium that they cover the whole immersive theater scene. Okay. But immersive theater um, with the idea where you are, as you know, you're not just an audience passively watching it. You're actually like being able to locomote around a space. Most of the immersive theater, you're not able to directly engage as a character yet. That'd be more like live action role play or LARPing. Um, so this has got a lot of pre-recorded like immersive theater ask where it's on a very site specific, like you're on a ship that's going around and there's a narrative that's unfolding on this ship. So you, you see all these different characters interacting with each other, but there's also this common area where you have these opportunities to have these serendipitous collisions with these live immersive theater actors that then can transport you to other secret places that you can't get to otherwise. And they'll tell you more aspect and more context of things that are going on in the story world. And in this world, you can't speak. Um, and so you have to like pantomime different things and the immersive theater actor can speak to you. So you have to figure out ways to uh, speak. And there's also like spells and spell casting. So, I mean, it's, it's amazing um, type of structure that they've created. Um, and I'm really excited to see this come out and see where it goes, because I feel like it's, 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 I think we're, it's, it's time for something like um, a really robust story uh, that has really fleshed out characters and real innovations in terms of what the medium of VR is really uniquely suited for. Mm-hmm. And do, do you have any idea when this might be coming out? Uh, I have some sense, but it hasn't been officially announced. So okay. um, I would just say soon. Okay. I, just... I, actually, I actually don't know. They didn't tell me. So I'm just so jealous of Kent's experience here because with all the travel you do with the installations, you see, there are so many things that end up, you know, being shown at these artsy type indie setups that never get released on platforms for consumers to even digest. And it's like, it feels unfair, but um, I'm glad at least you get to experience a lot of that stuff. (laughs) Well, that's, it is a challenge because, you know, it's really like Sundance, South by Southwest, Tribeca and the Venice Film Festival. Those are the major festivals where a lot of these show, these experiences are shown. And I'd say, yeah, about five or 10% of them get released in some fashion. Some of them are only location-based entertainments and art galleries. Some of them come out and you can see, but uh, a big part of what I try to do is go to these experiences, at least experience it, and then talk to the creators and see what kind of narrative innovations that are happening. But the distribution of these um, isn't as robust as the games. And I, I would love to see more of that. And I feel like the under presents is actually a good example of the type of narrative experiences that I've seen at these big film festivals like Sundance, Tribeca, South by Southwest, Venice Film Festival, to get a little bit of that spirit into the, into the, the rest of the community so that we can start to get more demand for these more narrative driven pieces. Awesome. Awesome. There you go. Um, so yeah, in terms of, uh, my week, like, as you'll probably know, I wasn't on the show last week. (laughs) I should probably maybe explain what happened there a little bit. Um, because the week prior to that, there wasn't really much going on in the VR scene. Uh, I thought it was like a perfect opportunity for me to kind of upgrade my PC, which I'd been planning to do for a long, long time. So I had everything all set out, new motherboard, new new processor, new RAM, new case. And I was transporting everything to the new case and everything, to be fair, you know, um, bearing in mind the whole thing's water cooled. So I need to like drain it, rebuild it, 
bend new pipes <laughs> for the radiators and stuff, uh, which sounds damn. daunting, but it, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's like, uh, if you, if you like Lego as a kid, <laughs> this is like the, the, the mature version of Lego, uh, you know, in its form building a PC. Um, so, uh, everything went fairly smoothly. Uh, and then after 24 hours, for some bizarre reason, it just died. Like the C it just wouldn't boot anymore to windows. I uh, just kept blue screening of death. Uh, so I couldn't sort of get any further and then I had to sort of diagnose which part it was. So by pulling out different parts of the system and testing them individually. And it turns out like, lo and behold, it was a bad CPU, which is practically unheard of. Um, but yeah, it was a bad CPU. I ordered a replacement, got it installed, and eventually I was back up and running again. But of course, Wait, that whole process... Wait, you managed to return it, right? You, they, they did take it back, right? The they CPU? took it back. Yeah, of course, oh, okay. of course. Yeah, they took it back. It but like... obviously, in the meantime, I just had to prime another one to get to me the yeah. next day. Otherwise, you know, the longer I'm without a PC, the, the longer I can't make any content. So that was why I, I couldn't make the show last week. So I was kind of like under the the, the sort of uh, cosh of, of getting my PC back up and running again. Uh, so I thought I'd, I'd explain why, but I thought uh, Zim did a, a great job last week of, of being a, a temporary host. So uh, yeah, thanks for keeping the ship afloat whilst I was sort of uh, struggling with my computer. But in terms of my highlights, uh, obviously we're going to be talking more about Pistol Whip uh, later on in the show, uh, but the game I want to talk about is uh, Curious Tale of the Stolen Pets. Now, uh, this is a game from the team uh, at Fast Travel Games, uh, the same team that made Apex Construct. But unlike Apex Construct, which is like an action-packed adventure game, uh, Curious Tale of the Stolen Pets is like a really relaxing, chilled-out puzzle game with like a charming and heartwarming story to it um you basically get to sort of relive childhood memories uh, of spending time with your grandfather by kind of exploring these beautifully crafted little worlds um that you get to interact with and solve puzzles uh, and, and by doing so you uncover the hidden pets uh, that have been sort of stolen and hidden away and and coins as well and it kind of reminded me of that um, experience in the Oculus Dream Deck. I don't know if you you remember that, where you're like kind of this giant and you're overlooking like a little world. You know, there's cars driving around, there's a plane flying around and there's stuff going on in the world that you can kind of peer into. And that's kind of what these worlds feel like because there's, there's five different worlds. They're all unique uh, with a different kind of story. Um, and they all have their own sort of personality. And you're kind of peering into them and kind of solving these puzzles, which is really nice. Um, but for someone that really enjoys puzzle games in VR, I did really enjoy it, but I did find that it was quite easy. Um, so I was able to 100% each world uh, on my first try. That feedback is so funny. I just yeah. imagine you're still standing over some kid and you're like, noob. Noob, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So, so I would, I would say it, it's a, it's a lovely, it's a lovely game. Uh, you know, beautifully animated little characters as well that kind of reminds you of like a, almost a kind of like Wallace and Gromit stop motion animation. It's, it's yeah, really nice. That's what I thought as well. Um, but yeah, very easy. So I think maybe they're just aiming for a younger audience, uh, mm. or maybe just as, as a family sort of game that you can all enjoy together. Um, but you know, for what it is, I, I think it's great. Um. But again, sort of relatively short, just over an hour's worth of content. Did you play, um, it's reminded me of when I played, I think it was 2016, Water Bears? Um, I never played it. You need to play Water Bears because it's kind of similar. It's like, it's it's a little easy. Later levels are kind of difficult, but again, not probably not beyond two hours of gameplay. But um, 
It's funny when I you put uh, the the feelers out this week for games that I should play for Halloween. I think it was Buck said that I should play Water Bears. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like Buck, all right. Yeah, um, but yeah. So Curious Tale of the Stolen Pets was kind of like my highlight of the week. Um, it's coming out on the fourteenth of November on PC VR headsets, Oculus Quest, and the PSVR. Um, so before we get into the news this week, I just wanted to give you a bit of interesting trivia that I mm. learned today, um, and that is that the original Blade Runner movie, which released back in 1982, the actual setting for that movie was set in November 2019. (laughs) So we are living in the era of Blade Runner that was depicted in the movie. But of course, we don't have any flying cars or replicants running around that we know of. Um, But I just kind of thought it was interesting that, you know, we've got to that point now where we're, we're living in the future that was depicted way back when. But so it's, that all it, right, right? Yeah, I guess so. Well, I my, guess so. My only counter-reaction there. I was just going to say there is a certain amount of dystopic kind of feel that we have in our entire culture right now. So even though there's not like the, the whole cyberpunk element, there's certainly a whole strange of authoritarian you know dynamics that we have in our culture and politics. And yeah, it's definitely certain elements there that certainly uh, fit. But uh, Noah Nelson from No Persinium said, I wish that we had as much housing that was depicted in Blade Runner uh, back in, you know, <laughs> as we have in L.A. now. So there's certainly not as big of a city as was uh, depicted back then. Yeah. yeah. And, so, and for, for me, my one counter to your statement that uh, there's no replicants and there's no flying cars. I think Elon Musk probably has both of those categories covered. <laughs> like he's definitely a replicant and he probably has his own flying car. <laughs> That's probably true. That's probably true. But I thought it was a nice bit of trivia uh, before we get into the news this week. Something that I found interesting, anyway. Is it um, a flying car? Or just a helicopter? <laughs> a drone. Yeah. Well, they do have drones. Drone cars. I think that'll be more of the. I think that not everybody from your. You, if you think about how you transport yourself to other, just as you get around the place, like you know, a scooter or stuff like that. Um, I've seen people with like jetpacks and hoverpacks, but you know, flying cars. I have seen uh, demos of like drones, but I think that you, I think we're gonna have to like come up with a whole new level of anti gravity type of technology that uh, yeah. maybe will come within the next uh, five to twenty years before we actually get to that point of having flying cars. I think it needs a new proportion, a completely new paradigm of propulsion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But they're working on that on Area 51 hours. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Rowdy's used to uh, scooting around and and, and defying gravity on his scooter. (laughs) Uh, He showed us some really nice bruises on our podcast a a few months back. Oh, my God. Um, But let's get into the news then. And the first bit of news this week is about two of my all-time favorite VR games, Beat Saber and Superhot. And apparently... They might be working together on a special project. Now, the team at Beat Saber recently posted on Twitter asking if they should collab with the Superhot team. And of course, they had an overwhelming community response of super yes. Everyone was like well up for it. Um, and even uh, Dev Rev Callum, who works closely with the Superhot team on Twitter, uh, posted a short clip of what a Beat Saber style game in the Superhot world might look like using sort of like katanas and and these kind of like moving triangles coming towards you. Um, so it kind of got me thinking, of course, we don't know any details of this collaboration, but kind of got me thinking that if this match made in heaven was going to happen, what type of project would you like to see come out of this kind of collaboration? Um, because I can kind of imagine playing Beat Saber 
uh, a bit like Pistol Whip, which we're going to talk about later on, playing Beat Saber, but having to dodge incoming fire from from super hot enemies. I think that would be kind of a an interesting for, mix. For me, I, I think I would take it even further. Like I would like to punch people then on the rhythm, you know? Oh, right, okay. Like, so, like do, so, do that with music. So they come and then like you, you need to punch them on the rhythm. Because like just okay. like a, a like a beat saber kind of scene is super hot. Yeah, doesn't really get me that excited. You know, I'll, I'll play I'll play Beat Saber because it probably looks better than. <laughs> but uh, if if it's some element of super hot, you know, like like the punch mechanics or like the grabbing the pistol and shooting, if you can do that in like a rhythm style like Beat Saber does, then I think yeah, I think that's cool. There's already a name for this beat up saber. So beat up saber, <laughs> you're, you're you're covered already. Well, I don't know. So, so uh, after after whi- whipping my pistol, I can beat my saber, <laughs> right? So super if saber. You, if you look at the core mechanic of something like Super Hot, the whole conceit is that things in the world move when you move, which is in some sense opposite than a rhythm game, which is that things are already moving at a certain rhythm. So I mean, I think in something like Pistol Whip, where we'll talk about it later, obviously, but um, there is a certain element of if you shoot things on the rhythm of the game, if it'll sort of have some sort of score modifier so that you can actually get more points. Mm-hmm. So I think there is a certain amount of like the core conceit of Super Hot is that only things move when you move. And how do you reckon that with a music track that has its own inherent rhythm? And so... Mm-hmm. Uh, mashing that up, I think, is going to be interesting to see if it's going to be more of a score modifier or if it is going to be actually like you actually have to move in a very specific rhythm, but choreographed in a certain way. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they do that. Actually, yeah. the way the procedural engine worked in Audio Surf, which was the, one of the predecessors to Audio Shield, uh, was that when it mapped out your track, as the beats were happening, the track the track would kind of pulsate towards beats it, it wouldn't just run linearly at, at a single speed so as the tempo increased or decreased or whatever like it, it was it was your your craft would kind of speed up so that's what i'm picturing mixed with something like max pain um and again the child of this just seems to be <laughs> just a whip to be honest yeah. but but maybe a more um open world pistol whip or or something again more akin to like a Max Payne type narrative. Well, maybe you had like a pistol in one hand and a lightsaber in the other hand, and that, that would be kind of like a, a mix of both. That would be kind of interesting. But, uh, you know, obviously we don't know any details of what's happening, but, and if this will ever come to fruition, but if it does, I, I'm super hyped for it. Um, but let us know what you think in the comments. Love to know some suggestions. But um, also whilst on the subject of, of Beat Saber, uh, the team recently posted a tease on Twitter suggesting that there's an update uh, incoming for the 7th of November. So mark that in your diaries. Um, they kind of teased... Uh, a, a gif of like a red Beat Saber cube, which to me looked like it was rotating. I don't know what you you guys yeah uh, the, sort the, of the take environment on around it looks like it's rotating, right? Yeah, or it's kind of like it's got some nice lighting dancing, effects on yeah. as well. Yeah, so it kind of got me thinking that maybe this is a hint towards the long-awaited kind of 360, 360 mode. Definitely. Um, you know, I think most of us has tried this. Have you tried this one, Kent? The 360 mode in Beat Saber? I haven't tried the 360 mode yet. No, um, I've been I've played a lot of Beat Saber, but I've been traveling every third week or so, um, so yeah. I haven't tried the latest. It's 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 really unique, actually. It it it, it does make the game feel 
uh, new again in that sense because you're you're having to move around physically in your environment, which is really cool. And the cubes are coming up from all these different directions, and when they kind of converge in the middle, it's just super satisfying. Um, we got to try it out at OC6, and I think Nathy tried it at E3 as well. Um, but it's kind of rumored that the Quest will only get this 360 version and that PC will kind of get like a 180 version. So a, a kind of cut down version because they don't want people spinning around and wrapping their feet up with their, their cord. Um, so it kind of seems like Quest is going to have the the edge slightly on this I one. think they should so do it. I, I guess they're probably worried of someone twisting themselves around and then falling over and hitting their head and, you know, either getting sued or something. But I I just tend to think that, you know, stop spoon feeding me. Just give me the game. You know what I mean? Like just, just give me the full featured content. Give me an option to strip it down and maybe ship the ship it with the option turned on, like by default, so that you're mm-hmm. safe. But give me the full thing if I want to do it. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's right to only only give it a half bake. Sure. Look at look at what the Rift did. They launched with that. They launched 180 and they had to, in the end, give way just in the same way as for the different, you know, teleportation and smooth locomotion modes that they've everyone has given way. You know, people mm-hmm. just I, adapt. I do think they, they announced it for for later, but is there anything else that we know that Beat Saber has been working on beside them? I mean, I think it's too early for the super hot collaboration. I think so, yeah. But uh, I thought they were going to do the 360 maps uh, with like the Christmas release or something. Maybe this, this this is it. We don't know for sure. It was just a tease, and that's just my interpretation of it. It could be something else. Could be like a new music pack, or it could be new lighting effects, or something like that. Because there was some light sort of bouncing off this this cube, so it could be that instead. But uh, of course, we'll know by this time next week. So uh, we'll have all the details for next week's show to fill you in on all the yeah. details with. Uh, but that's something that's sort of in the works. I thought I'd tease you about. Um, the next bit, which I'm also going to tease you about, is about Hideo Kojima. Uh, the legend behind the Metal Gear Solid series and the latest project that literally just released or is releasing tomorrow, I think, uh, is Death Stranding. Um, But Hideo Kojima, obviously, you know, crazy creative in in, in the video gaming space, but he recently tweeted out that he received a Valve Index, um, which is awesome. You know, it's great to see someone, uh, again, embracing VR, especially someone so well-respected in the gaming community. And of course, it isn't any indication that he's working on anything in the VR space. But I'd love to see a VR game from him in the future. You just you just know that it would have that super weird Kojima style to it. Like if you look at Death Stranding, for example, like it's got Norman Reedus running around delivering packages with a tiny baby in a clear case strapped to his chest <laughs> that can alert you when ghosts What's are weird near. About that? Well, well, exactly. But I think. I think this is the kind of crazy that would make for a really unique VR experience. So I kind of just wanted to ask you guys, like, if there is a, a Kojima game that you'd like port to VR, would it be like Metal Gear? Would it be PT? Or would it be something else? Or if there is another game studio that you would really love to see port well, a game to VR, what on, would it be? On the point of that, for um, Halloween, I streamed uh, PT. I, I, everyone's like, oh, you know, you need to try like a very scary game. <laughs> Holy heck, like, that is not fun. Like, I, I, no. I oh, like, I mean, I, I went in there, I was like, oh, how bad can it be, you know? And people were like, oh, you know, you just need to walk through a corridor. And I was like, I can do that. You know, there's no physical interaction or something. You just need to keep on walking through a corridor. 
I'm, I'm, the game broke at a certain point for me because it's a, it was a remake in VR. Like there was a, at a certain point that the game just wouldn't let me progress anymore. And I, I, I after like 20, 30 minutes, I gave up. Um, but uh, I don't know how far I was Hang in on. already. But describe I, describe that because I, I thought it was broken, stuck with it, and then worked out it wasn't. It does seem like it's broken at one stage. Yeah, it, it does that multiple times to me. Like, and I think you need to walk on certain locations, and then all of a sudden something happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I got like, and people in the chat saying that the door was open, but that it closed again or something. So mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't really know what happened there, but <laughs> holy hack, you know I. I, I don't know if I want a game like that in virtual reality, especially like, you know, because you do the same kind of route the entire time. It's like messed up, but like something changes every time and you, you feel like you're going literally insane. Yeah. And then you see that 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 creature that that I don't know what that is, that woman standing in there in, in that corner. God dang it. Like, oof. I literally I had like shivers all over my back going all the way to my to my feet. Like, wow. Horrible. And it looks horrible, horrible. It horrible. looks amazing in VR as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it looks very, very good. But uh Would you ever no. play this? Would you ever play something like that, Kent? Like something that really psychological horror messes with your mind? Uh I have I, the one that I would really love to try is Resident Evil 7. Oh. Uh, I don't have a PSVR, so um I did do an interview with somebody who said that they did use something like Resident Evil as a way to do uh, like stress testing for their own capacity of handling fear. So I like the, the concept of doing that. I don't, I, I feel like I've done enough VR that I don't tend to get too scared of like the jump scares of different stuff. Um, yeah, but, I, I, I thought that too up until I tried PT. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, PT, PT is rough. PT is definitely yeah. rough on you. But yeah. I, it makes you first like second guess yourself you're like is this it right and then when you start to realize the game is it, it doesn't it doesn't jump scare you at least not early mm-hmm. on and uh it yeah. just it does this great psychological kind of warm-up and the proper horror games do that and so for me a full-length pt equivalent right i i, I would want that yeah something silent hill would be cool but um that said the metal gear solid even like with a mix of first and third person might be quite tantalizing. Like I really mm. liked uh, Kronos and those kinds of games. So mm. I think they could really pull it off. To be honest, anything, when you get a creator like Hideo, just anything he'd do, just just do it. Just make a VR project. I don't care if it's 30 minutes long, just just have fun with it and then we'll have fun with it. So that that would be my message. Yeah, my, my thought about the, the AAA gaming, uh, well, just first as a disclaimer, is that I'm like 43 years old. And so my first like system was like a Nintendo NES of Super Mario Brothers uh, in the 80s. And I stopped playing video games in 1994 for 20 years, uh, just went off and, you know, lived my life. And then when VR came along, I started getting back into games. And so there's like this huge gap of my gaming knowledge. But just by looking at what has happened with the dynamic of Oculus giving lots of money to big AAA game studios. I don't think you could point to any like breakout success of any of those. My sense is that the amount of bureaucracy and production pipeline and ways that it's like a movie studio that you're giving money to, and they have these paradigms and these thoughts about what games are and what they should be. And so I think actually most of the greatest innovations in the VR space have been coming from these independent middle tier or single shops, very small footprint of people that are really rapidly iterating and trying to figure out what the inherent nature of the medium actually is. And so this whole conceit that there would be a AAA gamer who's going to come in and basically do all sorts of amazing innovations in VR, 
I'm super skeptical just because I haven't seen it happen yet. And mm. everybody that has been putting millions and millions of dollars into different games, I mean, harmonics and all their rhythm games, uh, you know, it took like Beat Saber or Pistol Whip. Of, uh, it's not like the same amount of budget or resources that were handed mm. to them. And yeah. so I feel like there's a, been a little bit of a recalibration, even within the structure of Oculus, where it's a bit of a changing of the guards of the people who were in control at the beginning. And now we've seen a bit of like a shifting of who's now in charge. And I feel like we're going to start to see a lot more of supporting of those smaller independent creators, which I think is where a lot of the true innovation in the VR space has come. So when I hear discussions about these big AAA gamers like coming in, swooping into VR, I'd like to see them create like 10 prototypes first before I'm going to like really seriously look at what they're creating uh, or for them to collaborate with people who do already have that level of expertise and experience. Mm -hmm. So certainly with like Hideo, like he's so unique in that, like he's not sort of like the standard AAA developer. Like he's literally just gone off on his own path with his new studio now and his his new game Death Stranding. If you look at it, it's probably unlike anything else that's out there right now. And that's why I think if he was to do something, and I don't think he would like, uh, I think he would just do something on a side project on his own rather than get funding from Oculus. But I do totally agree with your your point that you know a lot of the stuff that comes from Oculus with the AAA developments that's been funded seems like they've been steered in a certain direction or a certain way, or, you know, this is how we want it done. And there's a lot of like handholding and maybe direction there. Certainly that, that was clear with um, the Marvel game, Marvel powers United. It, it certainly seemed that way from playing that game, that it was on a certain path where it had the potential to do way more. Um, so I totally get that. But, um, but yeah, like I said, you know, it, it is all pie in the sky stuff. You know, it's just a case of that he got an index. I think it's exciting because he's, he's a legend in my eyes. <laughs> I'd love to see something from him in the future. Um, so yeah, that's Hideo Kojima, Kojima getting a Valve index. Um, so next bit of news is about Oculus Link, obviously the highly anticipated Oculus Quest update, which allows you to connect your Quest to a PC to essentially turn it into a Rift to play full PC VR titles from Oculus Home and Steam VR. Now, this feature was unveiled during Oculus Connect 6, and it was stated that it will be coming out in November. Now, although the update will enable this feature, you'll still need a USB-C cable to connect your Quest to your PC, and Oculus will be selling that uh, separately uh, as an Oculus Link cable, but that won't be coming out when the update drops. So we're going to have to wait a few more months for that, I think. Uh, however, Oculus did say that they'll be releasing details of the specs of the cables required to have a good experience in the meantime. So we can still use the feature, but we'll just have to source our own cables. And I'm sure myself and there'll be other creators out there that'll be testing a bunch of accessories in the coming weeks to make sure it works. Um, but interestingly, this week, an app turned up on the Quest Store called Rift Home. Yeah. And it, it was weird because it wasn't on the Quest Store in the Quest. It was on the Quest Store on mobile. And I was able to download it, but I couldn't actually install it on my Quest. And from the subreddit of people like trying to install it as well and, and play it, I don't think anyone successfully got the app to run. Um, but it seemed like it was exactly the same environment that was originally the Rift Home environment before the customizable home environments that we now have on Rift. Mm. Um, you know, the one with the little carpet with a, the corner twisted oh, up that yeah. kind of drove everyone's OCD a little bit crazy. Um, but yeah, so it, it could be a sign that the Oculus Link update is imminent uh, because an eagle-eyed follower on Twitter spotted that the release date for this Oculus Home app on Quest was actually supposed to be on the 11th of November, 
and somehow it got pushed to the store early and obviously you still can't use it properly. So it could mean that the 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 link update is due within the sort of next week or so. I think it's out. I think the firmware update they just rolled uh dropped dropped yeah, because it there, was a, there was an update on Quest and PC right, on the exactly. same day. So so yeah. they've They've already rolled uh, the foundation for whatever they need, and all they've got now is they've just got to turn the switch. Mm. I'm convinced, 100%. Yeah, because I, I did try. I connected my Quest to my PC using a USB-C cable, You know, tried like, like lots of different things, like to add a new headset within Oculus Home uh, environment, but obviously nothing works. Um, so that's kind of interesting, but um, hopefully it comes soon, because I know a lot of people out there are super excited about it, and I think it will drive... Some people to go out there and maybe buy a you know a VR capable PC or maybe bring out a PC and upgrade it slightly so it is ready to play VR content because especially with big hitters like Stormland coming just around the corner um, and having played and tried Oculus Link at OC6, you know, it, it works great. You know Stormland looked incredible on the Quest, so I'm excited for people to try it and maybe get a taste of full PC VR content, especially if they've only had you know, access to the quest previously to that. If, if you're gonna, if you're gonna do that, if you're gonna go out and pick up a, um, a, a cable in preparation for the software update and you're thinking again, never Amazon prime or whatever you have in your country, ship it to my, uh, to me in the next week, right? Get ready for this thing. <clears throat> Another thing that you might want to add to your order is a Velcro tie, um, because they're really helpful for routing cables, particularly down the back of the headset. And, um, although in, the videos for some reason they have it just probably for cleanliness cleanliness of it dropping off the side of the headset you're really not going to want that cable to be going that way i think you're going to want to root it up and and back along the bridge of the of the quest if you if you, if you do that off, it'll, it'll be pulling your headset off center the entire yeah time. right exactly they, and it's weight on the they did use a plastic clipper oculus connect uh, i wonder if that will come in the box with the cable uh, but obviously in the meantime you'll have to find another solution so a velcro strap would work nicely so say, yeah those, and you can get like a bundle of 10 for like two quid it's not it's not expensive yeah. and they're very handy for other cable routing purposes so yeah what do you think about this whole uh, thing with quest being able to play pc content now kent you know like it was one of those things that i think we all wanted and certainly the community were very vocal about that they wanted um and no one ever thought it was going to be possible, really. And then, obviously, Oculus kind of dropped the dropped the bomb on us at OC six. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't take time to do the uh, the demo at Oculus Connect six because I ended up doing about eighteen hours of conversations with about thirty people over the four days. So I was more focused on connecting to the community. So what's happening? The uh, two thoughts. One thought is that whenever I play the Oculus Quest for an extended amount of time, it gets very hot. Like right here, it ends up like leaving like a red mark on my face. And so like the heat dissipation for the quest is a lot hotter. So I feel like it's not as comfortable. And plus it's like more weighted uh, in the front, it's front loaded. Mm -hmm. So it's not as comfortable as doing extended play. Um, I wonder about whether or not you're going to be able to power up the quest as you do it as well. Uh, if you're going to have to like be limited by like, are you going to be able to send all this data and power it at the same time? Like, I don't know if that's, that's possible. I think that's what Zuckerberg was teasing, um, that, that that would be possible. Um, but also they would, they suggested that not all apps, like you would have to choose a developer if you wanted your app accessible to Link as well. So it might be that not the whole Rift library will be available. Uh, but then again, it is supposed to be working with SteamVR as well. So it does essentially, according to Mark Zuckerberg, he was saying that it turns your quest into a, a Rift 
basically, right. when it's connected to a right. PC. And, you know, I guess the thing that makes me wonder is, like, what is the commitment of Oculus for PC VR in the long term? Because if they do actually, I mean, they're already having Lenovo produce their Rift S. They're not even producing it themselves. And so they've already kind of outsourced that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and if the Quest does have so much more sales than in the long term, then are they going to just see like there's the PC gaming is just a niche? And is this a stopgap to allow them to still continue to support different PC development without mm-hmm. having to do the continuing innovations of the PC? Um, <laughs> the, the deeper dynamic, I think, is yeah. that um, Oculus did not make some early moves into the enterprise market. And because they um, have these front-facing cameras, which are a little bit less precise, uh, HEC did a lot of early movement in terms of doing the enterprise market. Um, there has been some shifts in um, the, just in terms of the new markets that are opening up with the the Rift to be able to go do training exercises. So you can give out people like um, the big news was when Striver, uh, which does a lot of training, uh, ordered like 17,000 Aquas Go's for Walmart to do training. And so they've been doing training on the, the Go, but then the Quest is going to be great for those training. But when you think about actual like, production of like needing to have sub millimeter accuracy for designing cars or whatnot, something like external tracking may still be better. Mm-hmm. Um, and there may be certain use cases where like the PC version of the PC VR, and because they've been maybe focusing more on the, uh, the frontline workers uh, rather than the professionals that are using it day to day, like the, the quest is not great for if you need to spend eight hours in it because it's mm-hmm. just hot, it's heavy, it's not comfortable. Battery life um, is limiting. Yep. Battery life. So I mean Facebook yeah. has made it quite clear, I think, that they wanna they wanna go for mass, you know, the mass consumers. So I do think that for like those like specialized experiences, I think that there will be other companies probably taking up that route rather than Oculus also investing in there. I think Oculus really wants to get like a headset in pretty much everyone's hands. And if that is the quest, that is probably the easiest way to do it. So I do think you, you make a good point into saying like uh, that, you know, there will come up probably a time and day that uh, Oculus might only be uh, manufacturing a quest uh, rather than uh, something that is attached to a PC. Even yeah. if the tracking is better. I think as long as we have that option, you know, I think every headset going forward will have that dual mode where you can connect it to a PC and have the standalone mm-hmm. experience as well. I, I'm kind of happy with that. But yeah. I do agree with Kent that, you know, um, certainly for, from, for right now, you know, the Rift S is a more comfortable headset for use oh, yeah. for prolonged sessions. Um, and, and there is some mods that you can do to the Quest, of course, you know, add a deluxe audio strap or whatever uh, to make it more comfortable for prolonged sessions. And I guess if that's your only headset, you you might be willing to do that, but it's just worth considering uh, that in the future. It's weird because it's a trade-off. And to me, the the tether is the number one thing that I don't want to add to the Quest. <laughs> yeah. Like I, my preference, I think, I'm going to have to test it because I didn't get a chance at OC either, um, Kent, but... I don't see why I wouldn't just keep using virtual desktop. The only, um, like, like I love, I love having the quest and being five feet away from my PC or 30 feet if I want to be, and just go to any space in my house and just play from my PC, you know? And it, uh, it, I think, I think like it has to do with the, just like fidelity as well. Um, that if you, if like, for example, like, like me, Mike, uh, use him, like we, we record a lot of content and uh, recording content with the quest is not, ideal i would say it's not the the best kind of output that you will get 
if you want high resolution also in your output, then you'll probably still be using uh, the Vive or still be using the Oculus uh, Oculus Rift or the Rift S, uh, mm. just because the the output of it of it is is better. That's simply it. So I do think that there will always be you know people like like you, me, and Mike uh, will always like try to look for the highest fidelity in order to get like the best output out of there. Of course, that is again a very small percentage of uh, of, of the market, but that will still need to be there. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Because the, the other thing that just to throw out there is that there's 5G and edge rendering, edge compute, and once you start to have like really low latency to be able to do the rendering in the cloud or do rendering yeah. on your computer, like is I'm thinking about in the next three to five years as we start to have the proliferation of things like 5G. Is that going to change the long-term roadmap of some of these mm. things where mm. it does make more sense to do like high-end rendering off off onto a, like an yeah. edge compute device, whether it's on your uh, in the That'd cloud or needs, in your personal yeah. computer and be able to send that directly? So I feel like the where things are going are going to be even more, you know, tetherless and, and you know, out in the world rather than connected to the PC. So I feel like that's just kind of like a a temporary constraint of this moment in time, but that in yeah. the long term we're kind of moving in a different direction. Definitely. That's more towards so, like so the quest. Soon, Oculus will be selling routers. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I do. I do agree with Kent that, that you know ultimately we're leading to uh, you know a time where we have just a, a headset that just basically has the displays and an internet connection, and, and yeah. the the rendering power is done in the cloud. But I think I think realistically i think in my mind we're, we're a lot further away from that maybe even 10 years i would say because like e even now you know internet connections are so you know spotty across the range you know some people in europe like have fantastic internet connections here in the uk it kind of sucks like i've been struggling with it for years rowdy of course even during the show <laughs> highlighted that the internet uh doesn't like us at times so i think we're a long way i think google stadia are a kind of a bit ahead of their time even now. So I think that will be a really interesting case to sort of, to see how that develops and how that works and see how that can be translated over. But latency is such a, an important key part of, of, of a VR experience. Yeah. So, but yeah, I, I think ultimately, inevitably, you know, eventually that's likely what, where we'll be. Yeah. Something like Ready Player One, I guess. Um, right. The, the last bit of news this week is about Vader Immortal episode three. Thankfully, uh, we're not going to be having to wait too long for this to play the third and final chapter of the series, and it's going to be releasing on the 21st of November, so just a, a few weeks away. Uh, in a recent uh, blog post on StarWars.com, they actually detail that this episode is going to be longer than the previous two episodes, uh, which is good to hear because I know that a lot of the criticism of the last episode was was that it was it was quite short, it was short. and there wasn't really much going on. Um, whereas the, you know the beginning, the first episode was great. It was like a big build up to something big, and then you know it seems like it's still building to this big thing, which I think is going to be delivered in the third episode. Um, but this is what got me really excited about this. So in this third episode, which I said is going to be the final chapter, uh, you're going to be able to use blasters dropped by stormtroopers, fight air-to-air -air on skiffs, and also, finally, go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Darth Vader himself in a lightsaber duel. I'm super hyped for this. Seems so how about you, you, how about you guys? You have to lose, right? You can't win then. Because if you I, kill Darth Vader, then... What happens to the rest of the movie? <laughs> Wait a minute, this isn't canon. We've got off the story. <laughs> that's true. It, it, it is canon, so it, yeah, like that's not going to happen. I would love no, no. Hey, 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 hang on. This is my virtual reality. I, I would so <laughs> love 
to be able to just fucking slice off Vader's legs. He falls down. Now he's torso boy. And I'm like, oh, God damn it. That happened. You know, it would be so like Game of Thrones <laughs> style, but with Vader. Uh, but this is weird. Like, I kind of feel he's been kindling. Okay, fair enough. It's Stockholm Syndrome maybe kicking in here. But he's been rekindling this like little I'm your father vibe throughout the first and second episodes. Like, I don't really feel like hostility from him. He's like, I will. You are my apprentice. I will bring you along. But, and what? Now I'm going to chop his legs off? Well, I would. To be honest, it's me. But, you know. But, but it's called Vader Immortal. It's a good point. I don't point. think he's going to die. Straight through the heart, like, <laughs> and he's still there. Yeah. It does make me worry a little bit if, it's, if it comes out so quickly after the second one. Like I mean, I, of course, I don't know how long have they that they have been working on this um, on this new episode, but I mean, the expectations that the first one set were quite high. Yeah, uh, the second one it felt a little bit like a letdown, like a little bit of dip. But I do hope that the third one really picks it back up again. And from the from the description, it does seem like it. But uh, I just I just hope that they've had enough time to like really make this like a solid third episode. I think, you know, they've probably been in the works for a long, long time. They've probably been ready for a long, long time. Uh, but I think I think the reason why they're, they're waiting to release it on the 21st of November, I did read somewhere that it's kind of in conjunction with like a Black Friday that's happening, you know, so like they're maybe hoping that a big release like this will ramp up the sales for Quest uh, potentially. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of good timing, I guess. But um, have you have you played any of the previous Vader Immortal episodes, Kent? I played the first one, yeah, and I enjoyed it, um, and I felt like, you know, as a lifelong Star Wars fan, it felt like being able to actually step into the experience. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the actual, like, gameplay or narrative innovations, I thought it was, um, in some ways, like, there's a lot more, I think, cutting-edge work and innovations that are happening in the film festival scene, and then this is a little bit of, like, crossing the, the chasm in the mainstream of, like, mm -hmm. trying to take some of these principles and put them out there. But still, you know, it, it didn't have enough for me to like rush out and play the second one. I mean, the second one came out during Oculus Connect 6 when I was traveling and then uh, just, you know, traveling from place to place. And I haven't, you know, taken the time to do it. But in part because it wasn't like I was completely blown away by the first one that I had to like absolutely see it as soon as it came out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think I feel like it's a little bit, I mean, on one hand, frustrating because, again, this is another instance where. Um, it definitely seems like it's a type of title that's trying to drive adoption of VR, and I can understand that. Um, but also, like, I, I have to wonder, like, how much of the resources and money that may have come from Oculus into a project like this into, like, really supporting, like, the middle tier or indie devs to be able to really push forward the, the thing that's going to keep people back coming again and again. Because you get something like this, you play it once, and then, you know, I don't feel like I necessarily need to spend a, a lot of time in the, the other experience. I have heard, It does sell headsets, though. Yeah. Like, ha having a title like Vader, mm. uh, Darth Vader, or like uh, Star Wars or something, people want to try that. I, I've had actually a lot of people who came to my house and like they, I said, oh, yeah, there's also a Star Wars one. And they tried that and they're like, holy heck, is, is this like how VR is? Like, oh, oh man, I'm going to get myself a headset. So, yeah. I mean, it does, like, I understand what you say. It doesn't have, like, a lot of, like, replay value, except for, of course, the lightsaber dojo, since some people, like, right. love that stuff, absolutely. Um, but it, it, it is something that I think that when people see it on a screen or, like, hear, hear about it or hear other people talk about it, that people are a little bit, at least if they're, like, Star Wars, are a little bit more inclined to go and get a headset. So, yeah. yeah, I think so. Like, having that big brand, that big IP attached to it, definitely does help um but yeah I, I i understand where where kent's coming from as well like the amount of money they must have spent to make that happen potentially could have been invested elsewhere but I, I think it's kind of one of those things that you know people are when they look at vr prior to this um 
you know, it didn't really have any big names in it. But now we're seeing Medal of Honor, of course, Star Wars as well. I, I think it does does good for for Oculus to have these big IPs on 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 their on their side. And, and I think it's also, I mean, even at OC six, we saw quite a bit of our kind of Oculus start devs uh, milling about and talking about their experience. And but like Kent, I I if I you know if I if I was at the helm. I would pour 50% of whatever funds were available for um, investment into not just indie devs, like established indie devs, but uh, school projects, to be honest. I mean, I would start with yeah. teenagers uh, working on VR because in, in 10 years time, those are the people who are going to have the, the most flexible time and or have built built up a prowess over you know that, that 10 years. Now they're in their mid-20s and they could be killing it and really making the foundation for what VR is going to be. I mean, look at, I don't know, Microsoft, Apple, and these companies. And, you know, what was the age of their founders at the time that they were really pushing it? So I think that it's really important to kind of look at uh, the youngest capable generation and go, right, have you considered? Like, if you're interested in, in, in programming, get into VR. Here's the basic toolkit. We'll get you started off. Run a competition or something. But actually get some real indie ideas. There's some stuff even here and with local universities that I've seen that um, two years before Pistol Whip gave a kind of a similar flair and I, I still wish would come out and I think they just didn't get funded. Students went off and like so many mm -hmm. projects that died back in the day of um, Oculus Share, I, they're a great idea, but the great idea doesn't get to go anywhere, you know, and, and yeah. that's that's really hard to see, to be honest. But yeah. although the, the, the investment maybe isn't so much in indies now, they certainly still do invest in, in, in do. small startups yeah. and, you know, Oculus Start is still a, a thing. And I think, I don't know if the, if if Sony do something similar or HTC do something similar. I'm not quite sure. So uh, it's that difficult balance, I guess, of, of trying to get the right proportion of each. But certainly uh, Vader Immortal Episode 3, you know, I'm really excited about it. I'm glad that we don't have to wait too long for it as well. And hopefully it will give that, you know, amazing finale that we all uh, we all want. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that is the news uh, this week. Uh, now it's time to hand it over to Zim for the releases next week. Um, looking forward to seeing what's actually on the slate i haven't been sort of keeping up the track <laughs> yeah i was uh, i was digging around a bit there's not um there's not a huge number of titles but i've i've got three picked out and a couple in honorable mention for this week so uh kent gave me a great segue earlier with uh with his introduction talking about tender claws because virtual virtual reality which started off on um what was it dream uh daydream daydream mm. um and and then i only ever got to it when it came <coughs> it came over to the oculus headsets um, and I was like, so smitten with that. Like when it hit the go, I was like, fucking hell, where'd this come from? It's only ever in my book really been bested by Narrows. Uh, and I talk about that a lot on here, so I'll save you. Um, but virtual virtual reality in all the platforms I've played it has been amazing. It just landed on PSVR. So uh, if you've got a spare 18 pounds or about $21, um, PlayStation... As of the 25th of October, uh, PlayStation just got virtual virtual reality. And I thought, look, if you haven't done what I like to call inception in VR, um, <laughs> then, uh, then then please do. Um, and without spoiling anything, I'll say, would someone please pass the butter? Um, <laughs> it's, 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 so to explain what the game's like for those audio listeners as well, um, it's, it's like a toned down humor um, of like, Accounting Plus or Rick and Morty. So it, this is something that's a little bit more family appropriate. You could share with your kids kind of thing. Um, but it's still it's still kind of weird environments that they put you through. And um, Great very, very um, 
multiple reality, uh, which I guess you can tell by the name, virtual virtual reality, you're stepping through like many different permutations. And I think it's really well done. Uh, it's short and sweet, but for the money, I'm just glad the PlayStation people are getting it because it's been a, a long awaited, to be honest, to get on that platform. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the tenure clause teams have some amazing writers, but um, the other thing about virtual virtual reality is that it's kind of a meta. It's talking about VR and AI, uh, and actually incorporate a lot of like AI generated different types of stuff uh, with different characters in the piece as well. And so <laughs> they're always on the the bleeding edge with tenure clause and what they're doing. Um, and so that's why I'm partly very excited for the underpresents because it's the same team. So yeah, if you haven't had a chance to try it out, definitely do it because I think it's it's one of the the best uh, VR narratives that's out there. Very easy to get into as well. Like it's it's definitely a go-to app for me. If someone's a gamer, that's the only thing I would say. I probably wouldn't put grandma in it, but um, if someone is already <laughs> kind of okay with their reality being vexed a little bit, definitely it's a great title for that. So um, good old Activitude can just remind me reminded me. <laughs> I love the intro. I won't I won't say anything more about it. Um, any other comments on that one, guys? Before I move on. The, the, you can just check it out on all headsets. You know, it's yeah. on all headsets now, pretty much. So it's there's no excuse. Even like the way it's like implemented on the Oculus Go, it's like it's like brilliant. Oh yeah, hey, it looks fantastic. It, I mean, it, it it does the best with the three DOF controller. I mean, it it yeah. really makes it feel like you're in the world and does so much with that controller that I would never even imagine possible. So yeah, they they really push the limits. And so yeah, I'm just glad that it's it's out there and people are able to check it out. <laughs> no. The next one I had to queue up specifically for Rowdy uh, and any other sciencey folks. I know we've got a few who tune in weekly. So this is um, <laughs> it actually has nothing to do with physics, I don't think. But this is particulate. If you want to play with particle physics and um, you know do, I think Spider Man once said, "With great power comes great responsibility." So use the massive parallel processing of your graphics card and uh, for, for once, you know, for once. And, uh, and, and, and basically you get to play around with uh, a whole bunch of different little tools. Um, this game's obviously like an indie little thing. Uh, it kind of reminds me of Tilt Brush actually when I, uh, I look about it. Cause basically it's about setting up these scenes, messing with 10 different tools to kind of set up pixel collision and all kind of interaction. You can actually put to it, I was glad to read this, you could put to it like with reactive music, uh, similar to like what Tilt Brush had released some time ago, and, and record these loops. So what I'm thinking of is if you're like into music, uh, creating uh, sound bites, whatever it is, you could literally put some of this stuff as a backing and make a pretty cool looking piece, I'd think. Um, and if you've got that PC that's sitting there anyway that you use for rendering video or music content, um, then, hey, you know, put that GPU to good use for once, Mike. <laughs> Could be mining Bitcoin with that. <laughs> Could be. That yeah. is a good point. So that's particulate. Uh, that one's um, out for, it's just on the Rift headsets, actually. And that came out on the 30th of October. Single dev uh, called Mike, actually. Uh, uh, Mike Turitsin uh, was his surname. So eight, eight pounds, about $10. Now, next one is another re-release on a new platform. Uh, a couple of months ago, it was back in June, I think, that we landed um, uh, a game that puts you into uh, fast food called I'm Hungry. And I'm Hungry uh, first launched on PSVR. Now it's coming to Index and Vive. They didn't list Rift, but I, I assume that's supported as well. Um, so as of the 1st of November, yesterday, Light Studio have dropped in their... 
uh, Gordon Ramsay goodness. <laughs> so you start off in this um, little um, trailer where you're serving food. I really like the look of the uh, characters. Very, very visually appealing, this game. And uh, just to get this general sense of chaos amidst the various gadgets and appliances. Uh, as you're making money, you get to upgrade your uh, various appliances and um, showing on screen now an ice cream maker, deep fryer, this kind of stuff. I think it's all very well animated. So if, if you've been looking for a single player version of like VR, the diner duo, which is another game that I love and I play a lot with my family. Um, this, this is fantastic. I'm so glad this is coming to PC. This was a surprise to me um, because I was planning on, on, on anyway, picking up on PSVR. I hadn't gotten to it yet. So now I'm just going to do it on PC. It's just easier. Um, and uh, what else can I say about this one? I think, you know, think, for those audio listeners who can't see the chaos that's going on on screen at the moment, um, <laughs> think Hell's Kitchen, except I was about to say it. Except, <laughs> except there's a uh, there's a it's just you and Gordon Ramsay and a candlelit dinner that you have to prepare in three minutes and fifty seconds. So uh, no stress, get cooking. <laughs> <laughs> this one looks good. Anyway, I'm, I'm really really excited for that one. Um, couple more things that are this is my honorable mention section and uh, a blast from the past that we're going to include which is does anyone remember a game called american truck simulator and mm-hmm. uh this dev team's uh undying want to uh cover all 50 states well guess what they just added utah and apparently the game looks amazing in the rift s i haven't tried this like from a compatibility test for at least a year but i i used to play hours and hours and hours of this i have about 500 hours and Euro Truck Sim and American Truck Sim combined. Uh, it's a fantastic experience. If you think a, a VR truck driving sim would be boring, uh, you're wrong. I thought it would be, and it, it's an engrossing experience. Um, I love the argument there. Like I thought that was, was going to come like the argument. Like if you think like truck driving is boring, well, you're wrong. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, sound like I got some trucker blood in me. Uh, which I don't actually. I don't have anyone in my family who's a trucker. I got some friends who are. Um, but yeah, so from what I've heard, the the Rift S in particular matches very well with it. Um, I I I don't know. Uh, it's not listed even even now. American Truck Sim doesn't say on the store page on the store page that it supports VR anymore. And I suspect, having spoken to the devs about this uh, in person, actually, I got to meet them. Can't remember which event. I think it was. I can't remember. I think it was. Um, uh, it was in London with. Uh, with Rezd, uh maybe two years ago. Um, but they they are apparently committed to delivering all 50 states, which I think is a ridiculous scope for a project. I think they'll never hit it, um, but they're still trying. They're still trying. And yet they don't want to bring uh, multiplayer and or VR support in the short term, which I think is, is just nuts. But anyway, Utah's out. So go have fun with that. If, if you ever wanted to visit Utah, I know you didn't, but um, you know that's that's an option for you. We already touched on Beat Saber 360, which I, I think is coming out as well very shortly. And um, I mentioned Dance Collider, another game that's uh, dropping. We've, we've covered so many of these music, rhythm, beat, dance games that I feel like mentioning another one, you're going you're gonna to eat me up. But the final word of the week, uh, I have to slip this in there because I didn't know it. And being a, a Diablo fan, and there not being any Diablo for years that I appreciated because I didn't like Diablo 3, uh, Diablo 4's trailer dropped... Uh, the kind of cinematic thing and, and Blizzard do an amazing job. So uh, even though that's not releasing next week, the, the, that nine minute video is out and you have to watch it. It's got balls. Take my recommendation and watch that. There's some, there's a three minute gameplay uh, one as well, which is less exciting. Looks a little bit like 
uh, Rockstar's uh, Rockstar's project Red Dead Redemption in places, which is a bit odd. I'm glad to see Diablo going that way, but um, I thought I'd mention that as well because uh, it's been a long time since we've seen exciting stuff from Blizzard, and um, you guys know I've got teeth, and uh, I'm glad that Blizzard still does too. So awesome, awesome. That's it. Thank you very much, dude. Thank you very much. So um, let's get into our first topic then. Uh, and of, the, of course, this is what we've all been waiting for: the big, the big game, Pistol Whip. Um, we all got to play this at Oculus Connect Six on the Quest, and I think for all of us, it it just like instantly became our highlight of the show um, because of you know the way the way the game makes you move, the way it plays, the colorful uh, art style, the music, everything uh, about it just kind of gels together so well to 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 form this like cool little game. It just makes you feel like a total badass. Um, the game, if you didn't know, is being developed by Cloudhead Games. Uh, they previously made uh, The Gallery, Episodes 1 and 2. And also, they also made uh, Aperture Hand Labs as well, which was the experience for the Valve Index Controllers. So you can really sort of uh, understand how the Index Controllers work. And it was a really nice experience. They have a reputation in- of just delivering very, like, polished titles, just in general. Like, all of the stuff that they've made is very, very polished. And, and yeah, a leading line as well. Like, has Cloud had done anything bad? Not that like they're the only games that I know of. Yeah. Um, uh, but the Gallery was one of the first, you know, real VR adventure games um, that launched alongside they've, the Vive. They've been pretty much. working in virtual reality for such a long time because I remember, I remember the Kickstarter. You know, when they did the Kickstarter for the Gallery, the original mm. one, where they were still working with the Sixth Sense controllers. <laughs> they, yeah. Well, uh, been, like, Denny Denny Unger uh, actually was a part of a lot of the forum discussions with Palmer Lucky and meant to be seen yeah. forums. If you go back and see, Denny is there. In discussion with Palmer with the very beginnings of uh, yeah. he was one of the underground hackers of building his own VR headsets and stuff. So awesome. and um, it I shows him, the experience as well. Yeah, I, and he did a Kickstarter for the first uh, gallery um, and then got some momentum there. It was actually a launch title uh, for the the first uh, the first um, gallery. The second one, I think you know it, it's been very critically well received, but I think the, there's not a lot of people that were into a lot of the kind of mist-like adventure type of games. And so mm-hmm. uh, when I talked to Denny, you know, this was kind of a recalibration of taking the money they had left over and to try to figure out what could they do that's fun. Um, and I think they really nailed it here in terms of really trying to find a good trade-off of um, making you feel like you're in an action movie. That was a big mm-hmm. design uh, impetus for them to make you feel like you're in this John Wick action scene with the rhythm, with the pacing, and uh, yeah, just the way they've done the whole scoring of it as well. It's like you can, as long as you get in the general direction and shoot, you're going to hit the person. But um, if you turn on dead eye, you'll see how far off you actually are and to <laughs> see like, <laughs> like the game is designed for you to feel like a badass. Um, and then you can improve to the point where you're, you suck less, but you still will pass so I feel like just the way that they've architected um, and and due to all these trade-offs, like you shoot and your bullets fly immediately, but their bullets are flying at you. They're not coming as fast as you shoot, so you have time to dodge it. So yeah, it's like you see you're in this slow motion action movie, moving through a scene, doing embodied gameplay, but shooting things. So it's first-person shooter mashup between super hot and Beat Saber is how I think of it. Yeah, exactly. That's how I think of it as well. Like Beat Saber and Super Hot, they had a neon baby, and that neon baby was then adopted by John Wick and and, and raised and trained by him. And that's pretty much what sums up the game. It, it is it is exactly like that. So, you know, it's kind of got that aesthetic of Super Hot in that it's kind of like a bit low poly, um, you know, very bright. 
but then with Beat Saber, like it, it is a rhythm game, although you don't have to play it as a rhythm game. So like yeah. if you're like me and you don't have any rhythm, you can just play it and just blast your way through. And as long as you survive, then you complete the level. I, uh, I have to comment on that a little bit though, because I, I originally played it like that as well, just like shooting it. Mm. But um, once you try to get in the rhythm and you actually hit the rhythm, the game becomes so much better. Because yeah. I, I would even I would even not call it a rhythm game anymore, but I call it the music game, because okay. the sound effects of the pistols and the sound effects of the bullets, mm -hmm. each time you play it, it's slightly different, and you can add to the music. But for example, if you, if you play on the harder levels and you you can you change like a certain effect to the guns, you you can add to certain beats and you can start making music with your gun, and I think that is just. Neither Super Hot or Beat Saber does that, but Pistol Whip does that so, so damn well because that really makes you feel like a badass. Not like, mm. like shooting all the enemies or making sure you have the most amount of points at the end. But like for me, the most fun in this is like that you try to make, you try to add something to the music track that is already there. And yeah. if you nail that, that is just mind-blowing. I'm, I'm a music guy like Rowdy, and I have to say that definitely the music side, like if, if you tap into that vein... That's it. Like that's the game, and that's the game's genius for someone. Yeah, yeah I, I can get where where you're coming from, Rowdy. Because I I often wouldn't like shoot the enemies in front of me because I knew it could make like a like a music combo if I waited if there were three of them. Could do 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 da yeah awesome like. Does the game reward you for that? Actually, does it? Yeah, it does. It does. It does. Yeah, okay. I talked to Denny, and you know they're keeping how they do the scoring. Um, a little occluded, uh, but it does definitely have a combination of the accuracy and the accuracy is not headshots. It's like shooting in the body. Um, and he also said that there's different indications in the game that gives you feedback as to how well you're doing. Uh, so you can start to pick up on those subtle cues of how to get real-time feedback as you're playing it. But you have the, the accuracy of how close you get to the body mass, but also the rhythm. There is a certain part of the on the beat yeah. or the quarter or yeah. it shows know, actually on the on the screen itself. If you hit a person on the rhythm, it will show a little beat signal next to it, and mm -hmm. you get rewarded mm -hmm. with that by. Uh, I think the next shot will get faster. That you can, for example, do like a double shot like really quickly. Because mm. uh, so there's the mechanics implemented in that as well. Certainly, seeing pro players play it, um, you know, like really in time with the music like you say it is incredible and like you say mm. instead of shooting enemies as soon as they appear they kind of cue them up like beats and then and then yeah, do it in time with the music and, and i haven't really tried playing it that way yet like I, i've just been just having fun like blasting my way through um but i i, I will try to be more concise with playing in time i, with the music I even often uh, what i did was I, I turned off like you know like you have like a safe mode so you don't die in there mm -hmm. but then like play it on like the hardest that you can and then just try to follow like the beat i find that like the most fun that i've had in a while like you're just like oh i'm safe I, I can't i can't die i can't like i can just finish off the level but just yeah. like trying to get like that beat every time yeah, yeah you, it's it's two hits and you're done. So it's pretty high stakes. Uh, you do have armor, and I think there are ways to get armor back. Um, the pistol whip, uh, talking to Denny, he they played around with whether or not the pistol whip is like if you wait and just like punch people, yeah. um, mm -hmm. you get extra bonuses uh, for different ammo and armor and other things like that. But it doesn't give you a point bonus. So because right. they found if they gave it a point bonus, that's people would just spam the pistol whip the whole time. And so, uh, but there is this like dynamic of like 
right before they shoot, it like the gun turns red. So for you to sort of time uh, whether or not you can kind of like, because there is a bit of like, oh my God, am I going to get shot point blank if I wait to do the pistol whip? So there's a lot of different ways to play the game, whether or not you try to turn on the dead eye and be just focused on the accuracy or, you know, that's actually not what they that, meant it for. They meant exactly. it to be like you feeling like a, a badass and just like getting there. And, and there's lots of different ways in which you can play it. Um, there's and not I think just that one is way what makes it. it a lot different than, for example, something like Beat Saber or like yeah. Super Hot, because it's, it really depends on the way that you want to play it. Yeah. That makes the game awesome. And, and even for me, like, I, I mean, I've played it, I think already like this week, like 12 to 14 hours I've played it. So I've, wow. I've I had some serious time with it. And every time I play a certain level, there's something different, you know, like I get like a different beat or a different like music combo, like I like to call it. But it's like, it, it isn't the same every time. And I like that a lot. Like, mm. yeah. Well, yeah, the, just, the the characters are the same. So the, the runs yeah, yeah. are the same, but you, the, the way you play it the is same, different. But the way, the way that it. I play it and the when yeah. I shoot them or when I pistol whip them or when I dodge a bullet or like uh, shoot them before they can shoot, that is different like almost each time because I get like different kind of combos, like different kind of beats on. Yeah, yeah. that's I think that's cool. Have you guys but, played with the dead eye thing? Because when Kent mentioned that and yeah. um, I've not it's played the, the, the production release yet, but for me coming from Autica, like I, the way I think about this and from the moment I stepped out of the headset trying it is like there's now this Bermuda Triangle of exercise rhythm beat games that I think I will not be able to be without. One of them <laughs> being Beat Saber, one of them being Autica, which is you have to be incredibly precise with your swipes, your shots, and if you miss uh, your toast. So I would almost not want to damage that accuracy through an approximated shot being accepted if that makes sense like but, well, it, but they, the, 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 it's so much harder though it's, it's, it's so, I, so I talked to Denny hard. I talked to Denny and I've, I've played it in Dead Eye and my accuracy at the end is like 70% so like I'm for every 10 shots I'm missing 7 of them and I feel like I suck and I feel like this is a game that they, they actually debated as to whether or not that would be a default and they decided to go with it because they wanted to make people feel awesome yeah. And if you so then smart. you get through it, and then you if you want to take it to the next level, then you could take it to the next level by just either improving. I feel like by turning on Dead Eye, you would maybe learn faster uh, than maybe if you were to do it for just going through because you would fail faster exactly. and you would just have more iteration. So, yeah. but yeah. just by getting into flow states, um, I think this is like there's a different level of a flow state yeah. that they were trying to encourage. And by focusing too much on the accuracy, I think it's actually a good compromise or trade-off and, and giving the option for people to see which way they want to play. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. I think I think indeed if there's like a like a spectrum of like people really want to play like a shooting game, they'd rather mm -hmm. play it with like the you know the the um dead shot mode on. But like if you want to play really like a music game, you just want to get like those nice beats and you don't want to get those like off clicks, like dang it, I missed them again. I need to shoot like every guy three or four times, then it's like way better if you turn that thing on because then you get like a mu real music game and I, I, yeah. that's more my kind of thing I, th I think it's great that there's different options there so you can yeah. play it how you want to play it uh, but if you're not aware of it and to kind of describe it to the audio listeners if you've not seen any of the sort of gameplay footage but you're kind of like moving uh, on rails through stages and each stage is kind of represented in the in the beginning environment as kind of like a like a movie poster and each stage kind of has its own aesthetic and soundtrack that goes with it. It's very kind of much EDM soundtrack, but I, I don't mind that. I know a lot of uh, the criticism that I saw was kind of like 
people didn't like that music, but you know, I think I love the music. I'm I think not, it suits the, the game perfectly. Yeah, typically, like that. there was like an there's an awesome guitar solo in um, in Death, the song Death, and like if you hit the beads on those because you need to like like he like you need to hit it with like the guitar solo itself and they, they do mm-hmm. like you know like trios or like you know a little bit more complex like musical compositions but if you hit those in the solo for example it's like ding 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 and you go that's so cool to do that that is so awesome so um it was actually cloudhead games and live that gave us early access to this game um because obviously with live you can record it in this like amazing mixed reality view which makes it look a, a lot of fun you get a better sort of understanding of the wider picture around the player and what they're up to is particularly for those that have never really tried vr before i think it portrays well what it's like to be in the game um, but they gave us early access and uh we had access to five tracks uh there's going to be 10 when the game launches and um you know, a lot of people are asking about like custom tracks and stuff like that. And I think uh, the developers kind of touched on them that they're considering it. They're thinking about a way that they can do this, but uh, potentially it's just going to be one of those things like, like, like Beat Saber and everything else that the community just tends to find a way to make this happen because they want it so bad. Yep. So it'll be interesting to see what the, the modding community uh, is going to be like with this game over the next few months, mm. uh, because it's going to be releasing actually next week uh, on the 7th of November on PC VR headsets and Oculus Quest, and it will be coming to PSVR uh, in in the in the future. Um, but yeah, I think I think we're all sort of uh, really enjoying this game. I think uh, yeah. it, it's and, great and it's that also, everyone's so excited about it. That is important for me as well. Like, I mean, it's not the kind of game that I mean. I think the longest that I've played it is roughly like an hour, just because mm-hmm. I'm always exhausted afterwards. Um, but <laughs> it's the it's the typical kind of game that you pick up, you play a couple of songs, and you're like, okay, I I don't. Okay, cool. And then, like you know, two hours later, you pick your headset back up and you play it again. Like then, that's that's for me. That's important. Mm. Yeah, the, <laughs> yeah. Quick, the quick, the quick blast, pick up and play. And also, you know, like talking about being a workout because you're squatting and ducking so much. I was about like, to say that it's a legs you're, you're, workout. Your legs, oh my god, your legs. You're gonna feel it for sure. Well, that's it. Like, yeah, like you have, you have, like Beat Saber is a very specific motion for your arms generally. Lotica is different. It's more like holding because you have to hold your arms out straight to get the maximum bonus, right? And and you're doing it that way. So that's more of a like a weight bearing exercise. <laughs> and then this thing, I, I was on my knees within like ten seconds of that game. That's uh, that's the thing I like about it is that it it does vary up your motion, and I think it it has a chance. It's very interesting. It parallels how Beat Saber released because they launched with ten tracks as well, and, and I suppose. The thing I was trying to determine in my head, uh, having having tried a demo on a quest, was, you know, how how will that be received? You know, how how will people generally uh, get that? Because although for people who haven't ever tried VR, the mixed reality stuff is is cool, gives you kind of the gist. I actually am of the opinion that from all the videos that I've seen, none of them does the game the game justice. Like the game feels radical in a way. And I'm saying that having just tried a, a kind of a, I don't say a shaky demo, but it wasn't running perfect frame rate, the, the version that, that I ran. And I was having such a blast. Like, you just don't care. And if, if you don't feel <laughs> within 30 seconds, uh, you know, I was going to say like Neo, but I think that's the wrong thing to say. Then then I think you're like a broken human because it just, it, it drives that feeling in a way that uh, no other game has. And I'm looking, I'm looking forward to, say- to it. I just don't think, 
I'll be surprised if it's if it, if it gets the same reception as Beat Saber, simply because it's a violent game. And there's there are there are people who are like I don't want to do gunplay, right? Which is why Beat Saber kind of has a wider, uh, more accepted feel, audience. Think, yeah. A more yeah, because like yeah. You'd, you'd be fine handed, you know, this to a five year old, right? But most people would not probably hand pistol whip to a five year old. So, no, good I point. Yeah. I do have to but say, I, like, I, if you if you tell your colleagues that you've been uh, pistol whipping the entire day, um, and you say your hands are cramping and your legs are feeling funny, they they don't take that very well. Uh, I made that mistake, but uh, I had to explain myself afterwards. <laughs> the uh, the the level, um, I feel like the easy was pretty easy. The the medium was I was able to get through a lot of the mediums that I tried. Um, yeah. The hard is like a whole other level. Um, I so only I played like, on hard at the moment just because like you get so much more beats. <laughs> yeah, it's so awesome. I think it is. I do, I do think that there is a, uh, just like when beats ever came out, there was quite a big gu- a jump from like yeah. from the, the highest level to the second highest level. And they do, they actually said that they are building up like expert levels because they're already seeing people who are just the try hard, like getting in. Um, and with a dead eye, you know, the thing, if you turn that on, you actually get like a score addition as well. So there's like a whole leaderboard dynamic for people as well. Mm-hmm. Um, for me personally, as a rhythm game, I think one metric is that if I run through it and I feel like I'm getting better over time and I keep seeing that I'm setting new high scores, that's one indication to me that it's going to have a good feedback mechanism for me to keep me coming back and keep mm-hmm. playing it because yeah if the the scoring is so different from what my experience is, then it doesn't have that sense of like, you're actually progressing. So I feel like they've, they've kind of built that in. And um, with this era with people that have like superhuman perception with Beat Saber <laughs> and superhuman movements of like expert plus, like just absolutely insane levels that people can do. I think that people are going to start to cultivate that same level of skill and, from the developers there, they're going to be releasing more and more content over the next year is what Denny said. Um, and I, I would recommend checking out Denny Unger's uh, Twitter at uh, Denny, uh, D-E-N-N-Y Cloudhead on Twitter. He's got lots of videos of different people. And I was, I was personally inspired to see other people who have like a music background play through the game because mm-hmm. there's certain elements of trying to play the game in a musical fashion that mm-hmm. I think, you know, have, this is the type of game where people are going to be able to show their creativity. Yeah. Um, already saw a lot of creativity with, you know, live filters with people doing like Matrix, people like on their knees and a real stylized, like people are going to have fun with showing their own personality and their character with how they play the game uniquely. And I feel like this is a type of game where you're going to see a lot of innovation when it comes with people playing the game where like, I didn't even think about doing that. Um, spinning around or handstands generally yeah. are going to be different. No, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I totally agree. I'm really excited for the community to get their hands on it because like you say, we've already seen some amazing creativity already and uh, I know they're just going to run with this one. Um, personally, like for me, like I think the only thing that I wanted to see was maybe some maybe variety in weapon types like it would be interesting to like play through some of the levels with different weapons like a maybe like a pump action shotgun or like an assault rifle but I wonder <laughs> if that would kind of affect the, the, the flow state a little bit because you know it well, there, there are like like certain weapon types. I mean, you can you can customize your weapon a bit. You can customize your pistol, yeah, yeah for sure. Professional uh, but slingshot. To, ha- to have that kind of like you know like or, or maybe a dedicated stage for a, sh- a shotgun would be kind of interesting as well to add that pump action into the music mix as well, like that kind of shoot pump. Like shoot, an pump. old school musket where you load the ball and yeah. you pump it in. And then... <laughs> 
but 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 maybe that will come in the future. But I'm sure we'll see. Uh, I'm I, sure we'll see some 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 interesting stuff coming from them. I did, I did have one issue with uh, with my game, um, but that was more related to my specific setup. Is that I can't use my headphones when I play this game because <laughs> of the latency between um, um, the headset and the actual audio. It's like a like a couple of milliseconds, I think. But that causes me to be just offbeat when I um, fire the oh, gun, wow. which makes it impossible for me to play it with these kind of headphones. Uh, when I play with the Rift audio, uh, just on the Rift headset itself, it's perfectly fine. But oh. if I use my wireless headphones, because there is a certain latency there, um, uh, right, it's, wireless. Uh, mm. it's off. Yeah. Gotta get some. Gotta get some cables uh, out, yep. buddy. Yeah, cabled headsets yep. is always the way with music, though. Yep. But one, one thing that I'll mention before we sort of move on from Pistol Whip um, is that it probably like I mentioned this in like a write up and I posted it on the Valve Index forum and I got kind of roasted for it because I said this game is probably going to be best played on Quest, uh, and they, they obviously didn't like that. Um, <laughs> the index forum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was just being honest. Um, oh, because because the thing is, you know, with the index, it, it's a game that lends itself well to be ported to a mobile platform uh, it runs well on the quest you know even though the, the what we played was a little bit rough uh at oc6 but i'm sure they've optimized it now but the great thing is of course you can move freely uh without oh. being worried about the tether and a couple of times while i was playing uh, pistol whip i was kneeling down and then my cable got caught under my heel and then i'd pull up and then like almost <laughs> that's the horrible off my head that yeah. is horrible <laughs> And that so, happens. That happens yeah. in shooter games a lot where it does it. It sneaks behind your heel, gets trapped, and you pull up and it does yep. that horrible yank you back and <laughs> it's horrible. It's like it's like being headlocked by an enemy in the game. Like you just all of a sudden know. <laughs> but um so yeah, I would say it's probably gonna be best played on Quest. That's just kind of my final sort of takeaway from Yeah, from I, I get well the other thing is I found in particular I was taking a step forward sometimes to get yeah. near an enemy or or to dodge a bullet that was coming in from the sides. Mm. So that whole step forward, step back, like hap was happening quite a quite a bit. I was almost yeah, circle strafing in parts. <laughs> And when you're talking about pistol whipping and swinging your arm to punch something and you accidentally step forward, there was one time where I actually like punched my, the wall in front of me. So there is going to be a certain amount of drift that may happen, but also be aware of the pistol whip mechanic may be yeah. smashing a controller into the wall as well. So Yeah, don't don't pistol whip your cat. That, we don't want that to happen. <laughs> so if there was going to be a sequel to pistol whip, let's say in a year's time, you know, they're swimming in buckets of cash and... Uh, how would you title it? Pistol Whip? Obviously, you know, Pistol Whip. You want different guns, so what gun would you have? Pistol Shotgun cream. Whip? Pistol Cream? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. That's like, a, no that's idea. like a, that's like a, you're a confectionery, um, you, you make cakes, right? And you just, yeah. <laughs> to, to a beat, you're like, you have to do up cakes and ship them. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, that is Pistol Whip. Um, so let's talk about our final topic of the show this week. Mm. And, um, you know, I thought as Kent's with us, we'll take this opportunity to sort of get into a bit of a discussion about privacy and ethics in XR. So not just VR, we're talking about MR and AR as well. And this is a topic that, that Kent's passionate about. You've done a lot of work on this topic just recently, right? I think what you said, like 14 interviews dropping soon uh, about this topic specifically. Um so I thought we'd kind of get into it because it's going to be an interesting take because, you know, obviously as a podcast, we generally sort of tend to focus on the gaming side of the industry. But I, I know you kind of, a bit like in The Matrix, you see it from a different perspective, you know, a different view. Um, so maybe you could tell us a bit about what you've kind of been discussing in this kind of area with other people just recently. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll start with at Oculus Connect Six. Um, there was a lot of different announcements, and so um, when I was there, I saw the keynote and then talked to a lot of people. And then there was one thing that they announced, which was just like, oh yeah, and by the way, we're going to scan all of the entire world and all of your private spaces, and that's just going to be made available. Yeah. Yep. And I think there was a bit of like, whoa, 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 wait, let's like take a step back. Uh, what did you say? You know, they already have in their privacy policy the fact they can do that. Um, so the deeper context is that, you know, when Facebook bought Oculus, there was, uh, I remember when the Reddit, when that happened, I think a lot of people were like really upset because it was like Oculus being like this independent underdog uh, on the good side of trying to make VR happen. And then it's kind of like in Ready Player One, it would almost be like the IOI corporation buying up this indie upstart. Uh, and then is this going to, you know, turn into this big like surveillance machine? Um, so just this past quarter, uh, Facebook announced that there was like $269 million worth of sales from the actual Rift titles, but yet that's only about 2% of all the revenue, like 98% of their other business. So you know, tens of billions of dollars is in advertising. They, Facebook as a company is fundamentally an advertising company. And then primary mode of advertising is what's referred to as surveillance capitalism. So being able to try to gather as much information on you as possible to create a psychographic profile that follows you around the internet to be able to take on what you're buying, your mortgage, uh, all sorts of other information that is happening outside of what is happening on the website. They aggregate that into these super powerful psychographic profiles to then be able to target ads. So the question has always been, like, what degree is this separation between Oculus as an independent entity and Facebook that has these ethically questionable practices uh, that are eroding our privacy? Uh, so this is a topic that I've been covering on the podcast quite a bit, talking to lots of different people. And Danny O'Brien, Danny O'Brien, Danny O'Brien from EFF, he said, you think about it like these immersive technologies, it's like the freedom of expression is like a downward slope. Like the more the technology progresses, the more freedom of expression you have. But privacy is like an upward slope where the more these technologies happen, the more intimate biometric information, our eye tracking data, what we're looking at, um, the, the privacy erodes over time unless you take proactive action to try to protect different aspects of you and your identity. So for me, uh, it's been super concerning to look at things like the Oculus privacy policy to see how they've been like architecting this ingestion of all of this biometric data to tie it to your identity and to potentially um, keep Oculus separate to not even advertise information, but to potentially look at what you're looking at in any immersive experience to correlate that to what you're looking at and to what type of actions that you're doing in these immersive experiences mm -hmm. to potentially record what you're saying in these experiences all of this is already within their privacy policy to flip a switch and start to be recording all of this information and then feed this into this giant surveillance machine, which is already uh, tied into different governments. Uh, if you look at the Edward Snowden documents yep. to see how much of this information is being fed directly into these governments. And uh, so Edward Snowden was just on Joe Rogan recently, and he yep. talked about this third party doctrine within the United States. So since these, these companies are in the United States, they follow U.S. law, which means that any time a third party gives any information to a third party, there's no reasonable expectation for that information to be private, which means the government can go to that company and ask for it, and the company will give it to them. So that means that the more that we allow our biometric data, our heart, our, what our heart is doing, our emotions, 
uh, what we're looking at, what we're feeling, and eventually brain-computer interfaces, so our thoughts. So even what we're thinking could be swept into this giant surveillance machine and fed back into these companies. So I'm just looking at this and being like, this is like a black mirror scenario that's unfolding and, and why isn't everybody freaking out about this? Um, and I think there's a larger ethical discussions that are happening in the entire technology sphere, but um, I've just been just trying to, you know, have these discussions with people and just see the risks of biometric data and uh, more and more of this information and trying to come up with some ethical frameworks to draw these boundaries. But uh, it's a little bit of like, so many different black mirror scenarios that can unfold. So I guess I'd uh, sort of hand it over to you to either, you know, spin out what you're concerned about or to ask any specific questions about that. Mm. Certainly from um, an advertising perspective, like I think we can all sort of relate to um, searching for a product online and then you go onto your Facebook profile and you see that product advertised there and you're like what kind of magic has happened here to to well, then allow this to happen like we, we i think we've all experienced that yeah right well in, in a way I, I don't really mind that you know like i think personalized ads is is, is a way forward i rather have ads that are tailored to my specific profile rather than something that is completely unrelated i mean we've all also received emails about penis enlargements, I'm pretty sure. Well, I'm pretty sure I don't need that. But uh, what I'm trying to say is like, you know, personalized ads is, is something that I think is on the benefit of it. But of course, the way that these are being personalized is what rather is the, pro is the problem, you know, that you have no control, well, not to a certain extent, at least, of what data is being gathered. I think. And certainly, like, I, I can sort of offer some insight, like, from, from my previous background where I used to use data to catch people, mm. but predominantly criminals. Um, so, so my kind of stance on it is that unless, certainly from that perspective, like, from a government access perspective, like, unless you're doing something wrong, then no one really necessarily cares what you're looking at or what you're browsing. But unless obviously they're using that information for something else. Uh, but for, certainly just from a, a government example, you know, access to this data is invaluable and it does help protect us um, from, from extremism, but also, you know, in terms of tracking down criminals for everyday sort of stuff, really, to be honest. Uh, but of course, we do need to apply for authorities to access this information. It's not just uh, handed over uh, without any authority. Like generally, you would always have to apply for um, an authority from like a you know a superintendent uh, to, to access this data, and then you would you would have to go through certain privacy applications to then apply to the company to get that information. Mm -hmm. Certainly, that was the case in terms of like telecommunications data. Um, so and in that's that the sense, thing as well, like often like the technology progresses forward and forward, but, you know, politics and like all of the ethical discussion around it is it's much slower than that. Uh, mm. there's, there's numerous examples of that with other pieces of technology as well. And I think it's important to have that discussion like rather now when we still have some form of control over it, rather than uh, mm. just let it linger on and see what happens later. It's lagging mm. is the problem. Um, I, in, in, in my work, I've, I've done a lot of, with uh, GDPR, which for those outside the European Union won't know about it, but it's a piece of legislation here that essentially means you need to call out um, and, and essentially map for your industry, your business, uh, how you're using that information and put a, a faceplate on it in front and say, These, this is where I'm going to, you know, this is this is the kind of information I'm going to use from you. This is where I'm going to put it, and they put very hefty fines on the back of a company 
misusing that information, uh, not getting consent, some of those types of things. And they're going directly at Facebook, Twitter, Google um, with this, with this, with this regulation. And I think a lot of governments are going to start to copy, uh, copy paste that actually, but it's too slow. Um, and I, I would say that seeing a, a few different pieces, I mean, the, the effects on us politics, Brexit, we have here a few other things, but when, when you're able to take this information that's been pooled on people and kind of use it against them without their knowledge that something like this is even possible. Um, it just screams to me that this type of thing should be illegal. So I, I agree with Kent's concern in terms of the, le- the, the legalities, the framework that Facebook has already painted that's ready as a, like a waiting light switch to then activate at their leisure at, you know, when it becomes, when it becomes uh, financially important to them to do that, to make that change. Um, that said, I'm also a believer of uh, technology and forward evolution first. Um, you know, that's why I inundate my kids in, in tech is because I feel like for them to have a, um, a, a fighting chance in, in the future world, 20 years from now, they need to be ahead of their peers on that stuff uh, to, to know it better, to understand it better uh, understand its risks and be able to play in that in that space um, so they can make their life decisions and, you know, put their time into whatever it is they want to do. But for something like this, it, it certainly raises a, a higher question. What global standards, what global bodies do we have policing, you know, virtual and augmented reality today? Do, do any exist? I mean, Ken, you're going to be more informed on this than I think anybody else at this table. Well, no, I mean, the, the challenge, so Lawrence Lessig talks about how there's like four major ways to kind of control these different dynamics. One is the legal policy aspect. So there's laws like GDPR that get passed that, that then the companies have to follow. But then there's also like market dynamics. So like having competitors to uh, these companies yeah. to be able to change different behavior. There's a the culture and the education. So, you know, how people are actually like, behaving. Um, and then there's actual technology and architecture of the code. So with centralized systems, and this would be something like decentralized systems, like self-sovereign identity or ways to be able to have you own your own data. Uh, so that's not like you're you're handing over to other people, but you're, you're taking ownership of that data and maybe having some like blockchain or cryptocurrency way to be able to sell your data or things like that. Mm-hmm. So there's different ways of kind of addressing this, uh, whether it's from the education of uh, educating people about it or whether it's through passing laws or uh, through having competitors, uh, market competitors, market dynamics there, or having different technological architectures. And I think all of those are important. And just to kind of speak to some of the, the points that came up, I think you know what we saw in the United States uh, with the 2016 elections here in the United States Cambridge was Analytica. that you had Cambridge Analytica, these psychographic profiles getting into a hostile adversarial foreign nation who's able to do highly targeted information warfare to be able to just shift the perspectives or opinions of just a handful of people can shift the results of the entire and election. I, I, I think that is the ideal argument for people to say, oh, I got, I, I have nothing to hide. You know, I don't care mm-hmm. if like people access my privacy, but that, that's the entire thing. You have, you have no idea about how much they know about you and how they target you with these kind of ads in order to mm-hmm. persuade your certain opinion on certain things in order to then rig a certain election. Yep. I think that is a very very dangerous kind of field that you're moving into, Dan, that if, if you don't know who has access to your data, if you don't know who is doing what with your data, with your personalized uh, uh, profile, then you, it, it just becomes very dangerous. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree Yeah, with that point. You know, 
with the Cambridge Analytica thing, it is very scary indeed that it was able to use as a tool to sway uh, an election in that sense. But other than that sort of use case, what's the kind of uh, scenario that kind of keeps you up at night? Well, Ken? well, there's a lot of scenarios that keep me up at night. Like, you know, one, <laughs> I mean, I, I gave a I gave a whole half hour talk going through uh, at least uh, fifty or hundred uh, different ones, um, wow. both at Augmented World Expo and the one at XR Strategy Conference, but. Um, there's another aspect here that I think in terms of like the argument of, oh, I have nothing to hide. Well, if let's say, for example, you have a brain control interface that you are consenting to have this machine read all of your thoughts. Well, it's not going to get all of your thoughts perfect. So what happens when you start to get certain uh, recorded data that gets misinterpreted, like all of a sudden you're thinking about a terrorist group or something like that, mm -hmm. right? Then you get targeted and highlighted and it's almost like these thought crimes, but also like if the government wants to find something on you, like, and they have access to every single thing that you've done for like a decade, then they don't have too much problem of being able to sort of dig up enough evidence that would convince a jury uh, not having any more additional context. That's why in the United States, there's yeah. the presumption of the Fourth Amendment, which is unreasonable search and seizures, because you don't want the government to be able to have that level of access. The problem is, is that, you know, within the UK, you have like this whole emphasis of the dignity and libel laws that are really focusing on, you know, and GDPR is a part of that. Whereas in the United States, it's more about this freedom of expression and more about the relationship of a, a hostile government and the individual, but nothing about these private corporations and companies doing that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it's more of sector-based of whenever there's transgressions and harm caused, that causes the laws to be created. And so you have these companies that are uh, just surveilling, they're reading your email, they're like seeing all of your private communications, they're like... They're, like if they wanted to pin something on you, they could. And if you just look at what's happening in China right now with like the social credit score, where they actually are applying a number to you as a citizen. This is like uh, episode one of season three of Black Mirror of Nosedive, which is like you were in that show. If you don't remember, you are rating yeah. other people on a five star mm -hmm. scale. Yeah. And once your once your number goes down a certain level, you start having things in society cut off from you. So it's no longer yeah. just virtual. You don't have access to transportation. You can't uh, go out of the uh, city you live in, uh, education, a job. I mean, like to try to like translate what is happening to you as a citizen and to put a number on that. I mean, that's the, the government could already start to be doing that. In fact, a lot of these social VR companies already have to do that implicitly in order just to manage harassment. Yep. So if you start to get these numbers that are in all of these different social uh, experiences and these different contexts, and then that gets fed up into a centralized government who all of a sudden decides to implement a social scoring system that then is going to start to cut off access to things that you did that, you know, maybe it's an error, like what kind of transparency, what kind of auditing you have. So you can just, I think, look to see what's happening in freedom of speech and freedom of expression in China and mm. see, like, this is the most extreme of, like, what would it mean for you to do a loyalty test to the Communist Party, but putting you into a VR experience, you can start to look at, like, what you're looking at with eye tracking data to see, like, what your sexual preference is, what your interests are, what your intentions are. Uh, so your body is radiating all this information. Once you get, like, these biometric signifiers into the wrong hands, you can't change those. That's a part right. of your identity forever. So there's certain ways that, you know, we talk about identity theft. Well, biometric identity theft is something that you can't take back. There's no mm -hmm. way to like change your biometrics because it's like you forever. 
So I feel like there's so many different risks that, you, you know, you can go on for hours, but yeah. I think those, those are the ones that, that really kind of keep me up at night is especially the biometric data, the eye tracking, the galvanic skin response, our body. And my sense, my stance is that this is ephemeral data. This should not be recorded. This should not be stored. People should be treating this as highly sensitive, private information that's like medical information. And we shouldn't be creating a legal framework to be able to, to start storehousing it and recording it and using it against yeah. us. The right so to be a, forgotten about is one of the main tenants of GDPR, which I really like, which is if you contact the company and say, what data do you hold on me? You can say, I want that gone. And, yeah. and again, they need to uphold it. Now, I think companies at, at the moment are running to catch up to be technically ready for that, despite the launch of the regulation and the live date last year. But people like Facebook, you know, they've got EU data subjects uh, who are all over the globe, not just contained in Europe necessarily using their services. So it had to be a global change for them at that time to be ready. Um, but one thing I wanted to ask in particular, because I, I you made a comment earlier, Kent, about at OC6, and I, I had a very similar kind of what I imagined your reaction to be when they showed that um, multi-data layered tiering uh, of, of showing like the insides of a building. They're like, we want to map everything and you like they just showed you the quest and these are kind of like like showing the hand tracking right so this thing's clearly got the cameras beaming out and then it shows you know we're gonna map everything down to this like seventh layer of data detail we're mapping the objects and recognizing them the room spaces we're able to rebuild you know like literally everything inside and out of buildings all that and i suppose when when you're thinking already about as you have been for several years and i've, I've seen some of your stuff on on, on various places on the web but when you're talking kind of openly about this and researching it and helping to kind of educate people, your brain's already geared up on this. And so when a slide like that hits, you must be thinking like, all right, here it is. We, we, they're even saying well, that, that, that it's coming. Yeah. And there, there's no deeper discussion about the ethics um, because, you know, there's certain aspects of like where you live and your home environment that if that got into the wrong hands that, you know, you, t you just think about doxing uh, and the, the amount of threats that that have. And so there's this kind of like this, the way they just kind of like, and offhanded mentioned it without none of the deeper ethical implications of it. And to say, hey, you know what? There's a lot of these unknown questions about the sensitivity of this data, how we should handle it. And we're, we're committed to having like an ethical uh, privacy first architecture for how we do this. But we did not hear that at all. We just said, we're gonna seize all this data and we're gonna own it. And we're gonna like, and which then, you know, actually damages a lot of trust of like, can we actually trust that we're gonna be walking around with these headsets and to know that Facebook isn't like secretly scanning all of our environments? You know, so that's it's that level of lack of honest discourse around it, but also the open ended ethical dilemmas that are already presented to just like uh, participate in these conversations. And, you know, part of my frustration is that I've been asking people to kind of go on the record about these very issues and it's been difficult to have them talk about it. So hopefully with this latest uh, push of a lot of these conversations that I've had with other people and different conversations and other people like HTC and, you know, to just kind of. Uh, have the discussion continue to at least have people continue to be talking about it. Mm. So certainly from other companies, like how how do they sort of approach it? Like I know you spoke to someone from HTC. Like how how do they sort of respond to this kind of question? Well, from what I've heard from some people who have been interviewing these different people, uh, the the universal thing about all these companies is they do not have ethicists on on staff. They do not have ethicists embedded into the R&D process. And so it's a little bit of like, not privacy first architecture, but like move fast and break things. 
Yeah. And when you're, when you're moving fast and breaking things and it comes to like the human psyche and different aspects of our biometric data, that's what makes me the most concerned. And so at least HTC, you know, they had somebody who I talked to who's on the, the more rapid prototyping team talking about ethics, but he wasn't a, a trained ethicist. So yeah. just seeing um, there's a bit of a recalibration that's happened across all technology to start to think about the difficult ethical, the, the unintended ethical consequences. And so uh, Diane Hosfeld from Mozilla talks about this concept of privacy engineering which usually when you do engineering, you're just like doing technical specs and trying to like actually deliver something. But privacy engineering is like getting into all this other like undermining democracy, different aspects of like freedom of speech. And, you know, the thing about these is because there's ethical dilemmas is just like engineering, there's no perfect combination to optimize everything to the maximum. There's trade-offs of safety and security, just as an example, like how much freedom do you have uh, to do like end-to-end encryption on one hand versus how much you know, safety implications are that to have bad actors use those to be able to do malicious things. And so there's like, the thing is, is like, there's no perfect answer. And so there's these different trade-offs that you have to do. Uh, And part of what I've been trying to do is just map out those different contexts of those different trade-offs to help provide people who are, you know, just building these things and architecting them, but to start to think about like, okay, how do you do like anti-monitoring laundering? How do you deal with harassment? How do you deal with Mm -hmm. biometric data and, um, these maybe unintended consequences of the technology that we don't necessarily think about, but mm-hmm. but thinking about how both the designers are implementing it, but as consumers, like what are the risks and harms that could be done to you as an individual and to society, and what kind of market demands are you going to be able to make as as mm-hmm. people uh, to say, you know, what uh, with these different aspects. There's games that may be starting to do biometric data, real time feedback, you know, like measuring what's happening in your body. I think it's going to be some amazing experiences that happen with that. But are they reporting that data? Are they storing that data? You know, once you get these APIs into the hands of these third-party developers, then it's it's kind of like the potential of creating a whole another Cambridge Analytica all over again. So just yeah. recognizing that as consumers and and both this relationship between the first parties and the third parties, how to get up the good safe controls to educate people, uh, but also as consumers, like what should you be asking and what should you be expecting? Yeah, certainly when you say sort of like, you know, work hard, break things and and push through innovation, I feel like, you know, certainly if you started stamping down on these things like now, then potentially, you know, you could uh, stifle innovation in a way, do you think? Uh, Well, it's it's there's always a trade off because, you know, a lot of the things that they a lot of the claims that Facebook is saying is that they need to be able to record certain things to be able to improve the technology. And so there is a legitimate need to be able to get feedback to feedback into these systems. I guess the concern is that there's not a lot of transparency, not a lot of accountability. Um, You you can't audit it. You can't say stop doing that. You can't Mm. you know, there's no slider for you to say to opt out. It's basically mm. like mm. consent and agree. And then you have to basically agree to all this stuff. And it's so vague and open-ended that they can really interpret it to, to mean all sorts of things. And so it, mm. there's a certain amount of like needing to have the technological innovation there, but also, and I think this is why it's, it's an ethical dilemma is because they do need it to improve yeah. the technology, but at the same time, um, so there's a utilitarian argument, like they do it for the, the sake of the good of, of the technology. But then there's mm. this other aspect of sovereignty and the rights of you to maintain different aspects of your privacy. And mm. as a the way that privacy is defined in the United States is a reasonable expectation of privacy. And so if collectively we all agree that it's okay if all these companies are secretly recording our emotions, 
um, and seeing what we're looking at in our eye tracking data, that means that we don't have any reasonable expectation for that to mean private, which means that opens up the government to start to be, as we're walking down the street, they're doing emotional sentiment analysis on us to be able to flag us, to be able to put them in their own databases mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and or other private companies to do that. Like mm-hmm. it opens up the gates for anybody to start to do that. If it's if there's no reasonable expectation for that to be private, then it, it just is like, well, anybody can do anything with that information. And do you really want anybody in the world having access to what you're looking at and what you're feeling in any given moment? Mm-hmm. And I'm I think most people are like, no. I'm getting yeah. like 1984 vibes here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, this is the thing. I think, you know, generally speaking, you know, and I may be talking out of term here, but there is like an unconscious expectation that as you're using your phone, you're being tracked by various different apps uh, and various different things tracking your data. And I I guess the the issue is that with VR and AR moving forward, like these things are going to be become far more personal than just having a phone. Because like you say, like you'll be tracking your eye data, where you're looking, um, potentially even your thoughts, if it has that kind of neural link that we know Elon Musk is working on right now and your biometric data like you say the way you move and if you think about deep fakes right now like how good that is when you can see someone's other face mapped on someone else's face but if they also know how you move and they can really make you be a convincing you know duplicate or double then it does get very scary indeed but in terms of what 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 sort of things do you think we can do now to kind of be more aware of this or, or or pump the brakes on it a little bit well, I, I, uh, that's part of, uh, what I've been doing is going and giving talks at, you know, do panel discussions at South by Southwest and SIGGRAPH mm-hmm. and Augmented World Expo and the Virtual Reality Strategy Conference. And so mm-hmm. trying to, um, the challenging thing about this topic in particular is it's like the cultivation of, uh, your own sense of ethics and your, your moral intuitions. Yeah. Um, so we need everybody to say like, this is my moral intuition. This is my black mirror scenario. This is the line in the sand that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of the challenge with uh, both immersive technologies and technology in general is you kind of have to like come up with a map of the human experience, a map of all the different contexts and as a design framework to be able to make these different tri- types of trade-offs. And so that's what I've been trying to do is try to map the context and map mm. the space and try to see like these are the harms that I've identified through having dozens and dozens and dozens of conversations over the last five years and to then mm. try to categorize them and then see how there's these different trade-offs. Um, the safety, the freedom of speech as an example, if you go for the extreme of you let people say whatever they want, then there's dangerous speech, there's hate speech. And so there's certain types of speech that can actually prevent other people from speaking. And, and so what do you do with the trade-offs between uh, harassment and trolling and the different types of harmful speech and, and dangerous speech? And how do you weigh that into uh, technology infrastructure that is, allows you to block people or to mute people or to mm-hmm. give personal safety bubbles? So these are the different types of technological trade-offs that you anybody who's creating a, a virtual reality experience has to start to trade-off between. Um, so you can't have like perfect freedom of, and perfect you know, safety, you, yep. you have these trade-offs, like you are choosing one or the other based upon like, we are willing to forego a little bit of your privacy in order to have a safety. Um, and so I think it's those types of different trade-offs to trying to identify those. And then as mm. creators of the technology, trying to take this, this concept of privacy engineering and do privacy first ar- architecture uh, and look at all the new emerging technologies. Um, and I'd say the other big thing is actually the business model. Because it could be that surveillance capitalism is just fundamentally unethical and it's just not going to be sustainable in this new immersive world. 
that mm-hmm. it's not going to be viable for us to continue this path of having everything you do or say on the internet, our implicit behavior is being tracked to then add in all of what we're doing with our body, what we're looking at and all this other, like, it's basically like reverse engineering our psyche and doing these brain scans and being able to like predict what we're going to do. And if you can predict what you can do, then you can control what people do. And then you have to assume that nothing's completely safe and it gets into the wrong hands. So what happens when that gets onto the dark web? What happens in mm-hmm. the, if it's a malicious yep. Exactly. Hostile actor, actor. What happens if it's a totalitarian government? I mean, the the threats there are enormous, especially if you mm-hmm. have like 10 years of biometric data of someone's psychographic profile. Like it gets You've pretty scary them. of what's possible. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it's kind of funny, you know, like people go to go to lengths of when they use a laptop to like tape up their like webcam and stuff like that. But you, you just can't do that with the Quest. <laughs> if you taped up all the cameras, the tracking cameras, the headset wouldn't work. So you're, you're kind of screwed in a way. You have to have them uh, always out there and tracking. I, I think I think overall, like it's a, fa- it's a fascinating topic and I can see why uh, you love delving into this as a topic and, and, and raising these uh, conversations with people within the industry because I, th- I think it is important, but I do think it's very interesting as well. And I think... Um you know, I think we could talk about this for hours, but you know, I think we should maybe cut it a little bit and maybe open up some questions from the commu- from the from the chat we'll as well to see if, if they've got any questions for Kent about this because I'd be fascinated to, to know what they think. But also, of course, if you want to know more about this, it, it is to go a, and listen to uh, the Voices of VR podcast. And you said you're dropping like what fourteen be, episodes? Yeah, I'm even dropping. I think like thirteen episodes over eleven hours of content. Hopefully, before I leave tomorrow. And the last point that I would make, uh, Sarah Downey told me she said, you know virtual reality technologies has the potential to be the most powerful surveillance technology we've ever seen, or it could actually be the last bastion of of privacy. Because if you think about these technologies as they move forward, uh, we may live in a world where we're always tracked when we're out in the real world. And it could be that the only sanctuary place that we have is in virtual reality for us to have this full sense of our privacy. Um, But I feel like that's a really interesting dialectic to think about this in terms of Mm. like, the potential where this could be like the word, the absolute like most powerful surveillance technology that we've ever seen, or it could be like the last bastion of our privacy and security. And it kind of depends on where that goes um, in the future. <laughs> the last sacred ground what? where we're not fully tracked. That's this is an interesting. Just as where I know point. we've got a ton of questions from chat. Um, I wanted to mention something that for me. Even though I've I've done a fair bit, as I said, with work in this space for uh, data protection, there was a Netflix uh, special uh, put up called "The Great Hack," which was the first time for me I understood uh, the Cambridge Analytical scandal and the influence that they were having, and how all of that just pieced together. You know, whether or not the documentary is something you like or whatever. It just kind of flipped that switch in my brain. So if you are one of the Netflix people, I know there's many of you, um, check that out. It's called The Great Hack. And I thought for me and my wife at the same uh, turn, I think it, it just turned our stomach to think like, oh, man, so this is what they're getting away with. And um, if, if a lot of the stuff that we're talking about now is going over your head, I think it'll help to ground it as well for you. So any any questions from the chat for uh, for any of us or, or particularly Kent whilst he's here? Yeah, we had, we had uh, Victor ask in the beginning, uh, with the amount of time you spend in VR, Kent, traveling and making the Voices of VR podcast, how do you find the time to read any of those books? <laughs> <laughs> oh, those books here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the audio listeners, he's got a bookcase behind him with about 200 books. 
It's a lot. Uh, the, the so I will go to the uh, uh, VR conference, and then I'll have all these different uh, concepts and ideas. I'll go. To, I live in Portland, Oregon, and so there's like Powell's Bookstore. It's like one of the world's biggest used bookstores, and so I'll go there, and it'll be like I'll often get books that are related to that. So I'm actually um, I've actually been doing a thing recently when I've been having like a, a speech to text thing read at me. Uh, so books are harder, but I've been doing a lot of like the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, translating entire entries into audio text to be able to, to be fed into my, my, my ears. And so I think actually I'm a better audio learner. So I am waiting to easy ways to be able to translate stuff and to be able to listen because I, I'm actually across the threshold. I was at two X listening, but then I started to go to like 2.5 X and like 2.75 X of listening to things. Wow. which is super so speed, fast. speeding it up so you can get the information in faster. Yeah. I edit my podcast at 1.5 X. Uh, but when I listen on YouTube, the YouTube was only at two X, but then there's these uh, plugins that you can go even higher than that. And so I was listening at 2.5 or 2.75 X, depending on some stuff. So um, I think because I've been training my brain to listen to things fast, then I can like, and it helps me as a podcaster because I'm able to process information like faster because I'm oh, able to hear people and be able to like do all sorts of like, you know, you, you live uh, in a world of chipmunks, right? Yeah. <laughs> I well, mean, I, you can all speak yeah, like that. <laughs> We're too basy. Go out and we'll pipe it up. <laughs> a good, a good uh, speed algorithm will keep the same uh, tone. It will not sort of pitch. It'll right. sort of pitch shift it as well. So. Okay. Yeah, (laughs) that's interesting because we talked about like VR, you know, leveling leveling up humans in terms of their speed and accuracy, like in in Expert Plus and Beat Saber, and you're doing that with with audio. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) so you just need some kind of really good OCR for your for your uh, used books. Then you're just able to kind of like auto scan it. I'm waiting for that actually, um, but there, there. Um, I think a lot of a lot of people that are podcast listeners, they, I, I, if you ask around, I think a lot of people who are listening quite a lot, they, they do probably listen at at least a minimum one point five or two x. Um, uh, I know I do whenever I listen, um, and a lot of people, and I think over time we're going to listen more. And I, I'm looking forward to be able to go into VR and listen to like at like four x, and you'd be able to do like things. I'm, I'm, I'm more interested in like the knowledge representation. Uh, the mm-hmm. thing that that holds me back is that. I'd love to be able to like drop as many podcasts as a record. So I recorded 18 hours of interviews, about 29 different conversations at Oculus Connect 6 over the, the day before and after. So four days, be able to just drop that in and have it sort of automatically be spatialized and for you to like go into a spatialized experience of that and be able to um, get lots of information. So I'm, I'm looking forward to when architecture matches up to being able to represent information and knowledge spatially and to be able to do like hyper flow state learning uh, and that's why I'm, I'm super excited about WebXR, which should be launching here at the end of November, beginning of December. So starting to see Chrome and potentially Mozilla shortly after that yep. uh, actually be able to render out immersive, tech, uh, immersive content and to see how the open web and other dis- different aspects of information will be able to be fed in. Uh, and I'm, that's an area that I'm super interested in to see where that goes. It's funny because we started with saying that the show that was uh, like the Blade Runner like kind of thing, but I think we found a replicant right here on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely soon to be. This guy's going to be a neural link in no time. But like, just load up that yeah. boot program, you know? <laughs> uh, there was another question from uh, from yeah. Victor to a more serious note, maybe. Yeah. What do you think Oculus needs to do with Horizon to make it as success- successful as a Facebook product? All right. Well, I had a chance to try Horizon. Um, and... I also did an interview with their staff. 
which they did not let me record. Uh, I'm upset that they didn't because I was like, mm -hmm. this should be out there and people should see it. A lot of the stuff that I was asking them was things like, can you do links um, out to things out beyond just the, and like, is it going to be walled garden? Like, or are you going to be able to like link out to other things? They did say that they have deep links to be able to potentially link into other immersive experiences. So I think one of the big keys mm -hmm. will be being able to go into uh, Horizon and be able to go into other immersive experiences uh, with a group of people. Um, I think another big key for me is thinking about linking out to the World Wide Web and going out to WebXR and things that are just beyond just Horizon. Um, and I think there's a certain amount of like all of the social VR things that Facebook has tried is, have pretty much failed, which is a little ironic uh, just because they've either been sunset or just, you know, they've, they've not, they've had too many different fragmentations of their strategy where they haven't had it, where a universal platform you, where you could be on one platform and talk to other people. When I talked to John Oakes, one of the things that he said is that uh, with the, their, their social VR for the spaces for, um, for Facebook is that you had to go through Facebook in order to get into it. And that was, you know, also like I, for me, I have all of my friends and family, like, do I really want to be broadcasting out like this kind of cartoon version of me to all of my friends and stuff? And so <laughs> I was all like, I was like, no, not really. Like I'm me. I don't want to like be broadcasting a virtual avatar to all of my friends. And yeah. so it was like having Facebook as the front door was like, wasn't very appealing. And so the fact that they're allowing you to at least have your Oculus ID to have pseudonyms, it was also connected to your direct identity. So, but still like, can you change your Oculus ID? Um, they have absolutely no ability to customize your avatar. So you're gonna be like this Pixar avatar. Uh, we see things like um, VR chat, uh, identity expression be a big part of this yeah. virtual experience. Mm -hmm. And so how much are people gonna be, wanna be a part of this like, you know, almost feels like you're in a uniform that's like everybody's the same. Uh, not really, I mean, you can design your shirts and stuff, but you're still gonna be the same avatar representation. And yeah. at least it's a human face. Because all space yeah. really pissed me off for you. I'm like, we are designed to look at people, not robots. Please. <laughs> right. The default on these, some of these social platforms is wrong. Now, some people do want to walk around like a slice of toast in, you know, yeah. VR chat. Or yeah. Whatever. And the other thing I would say is that um, when I did it, they were really, well, they you could import external Unity projects into it. Some of the yeah. experiences I saw were that were imported in. They also had their own world building tool. They didn't get, they didn't let me try it, but then they they let me see a world that was presumably created by it. So um, being able to do visual scripting and stuff, I think you know the big success is how how robust is this going to be for you to be able to create your own world, and then can you export yeah. it? Can you keep it? Or are are you going to really get people to build this within your own world garden? And how much um, uh, how much can you like download stuff from Sketchfab and have other tools to be able to, cause it's basically like walking into Google blocks. Imagine just walking into Google blocks and you're like, okay, build your world. That's kind of like what it felt like. Like they're mm -hmm. asking people to build a lot. And I'm, I expect that they're going to need a lot more of pre-built prefab stuff to be able to kind of pull in from other mm -hmm. people and really thinking about it more in terms of like developing a content ecosystem where you can create your own artifacts that you can share with other people, but they haven't, they weren't, that wasn't on the radar at all. So I'm just mm -hmm. kind of like, mm, I don't know. I feel like what, what in, um, and starting slow and building up because they've been like these big launches, but then they've kind of fell flat, but you see things like 
Rec Room and VR Chat and, and Altspace even, you have these like niche communities that are organically grown over time. And I feel mm. like they haven't really done that sort of organic growing of a community, mm. oddly enough, even though they're a social platform, they've been kind of just like doing a waterfall approach where they're like, all right, now we're ready. And they just launch it out into the world without really cultivating that the, the community around it at all. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. I think it's going to be launching in beta fairly, fairly soon, right? Like uh, I think in the, within the next six months or so, I'd imagine, I think Horizon. That's what we've heard. It seems pretty, pretty half-baked in terms of like not anytime soon. So I don't know right. how, what, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was another year from now, but okay. we'll see. We'll okay. see. They didn't get, they, they haven't announced anything as far as I've, I've heard. Yeah. Excellent. Well, that has been the show so far. Like it's been a crazy show. Thank you so much, Kent, for joining us. I think it's really interesting to have a unique perspective on the industry uh, from a fresh set of eyes. You know, we sort of see it as gamers, obviously love the tech, love the gaming, but it's really interesting to get another insight into another thing that you're kind of really laser focused on right now. And I would really urge people that if you're really interested in this sort of side of uh, the industry to go and check out the Voices of VR podcast and and listen to uh, some of the deep dives that Kent goes into with uh, various people from the industry. Um, but let's kind of round up the show there. Um, we've talked about loads of topics. We've talked about pistol whip. We've talked about ethics and privacy in VR and like, you know, super hot and Vader immortal episode three. So a real sort of a range of topics of we've discussed, uh, leave a like, if you like the video, uh, you know, we'll be back next week. Uh, Nathie won't be joining us next week. So maybe we'll have another guest on, uh, but we'll keep you posted on that. So have a great week in VR. We'll be back at the usual time next week. And until then, take care and bye-bye for now. Mind daylight savings time differences next week as well, because I think the U.S. still want to yes. march forward. So the same, if you're watching live, the same uh, time, time as this in week. Time in the U.K. and Europe. Week. Yeah, it'll always be, like the U.K. and Europe time will always be right. We can't promise anything about the U.S. <laughs> Just <time>. Google it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Until then, anyway, take care and bye-bye for now. Bye-bye. See you later. See you.